point. You're not implying Sean Payton's defense was playing a little uh, beyond the edge, were you? Oh no, I couldn't possibly <laughs> couldn't possibly suggest something like that because I'm sure he's quite litigious. So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. It's been a bit of a crazy week, uh, particularly in the AFC North. So hey, we got Connor here, we've got Sean. Hello. And we got Fitz. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's tricks down in Waterford? We'll start this time, Sean. Uh, yeah, Grant's still quiet enough. Uh, Sarah, my wife, has been quite busy, although we had her birthday yesterday, so we had cake and... She worked on her presentation, which is what adult birthdays are like. Um, Very exciting. Apart from that, not much going on. I d- just separated the cat and the dog from fighting, so hopefully they'll. The peace will hold, hopefully for the rest of the podcast. But uh, I'm not. I'm not optimistic about long-term ceasefires. Have you considered carving out a small piece of the uh, dog's territory and giving it to the cat <laughs> and then supporting the dog in all times as it's fighting against the cat? Slowly the space increases over time, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's one. We'll have to work on that, yeah. Definitely we need some sort of two, two-state solution for this house, that's for yeah. sure. Uh, yeah, I, I think the point to get worried is when the dog starts digging the tunnels, you know. <laughs> well, you may actually hear my fella is currently telling off our neighbours from coming home in the background. How about yourself, Fitz? How's all down in uh, Cork? Ah, not too bad. It's it's pretty quiet here at the moment. Uh, just working away, uh, getting through a few uh, projects, interviews, and stuff like that at the moment. But uh, in terms of day to day, it's uh, yeah, relaxing up and probably you know looking towards the end of the year uh, while also enjoying each Sunday, of course. Ah, very exciting. Yeah, nothing too wild or crazy up here in Dublin at the moment. Uh, we were up in Donegal for the weekend with my folks, and that went very nice. Uh, Loki used up all his good behaviour then, which is why he's barking like mad in the background behind me. But uh, yes, he has successfully secured his invite for Christmas, so he's uh, now going to have a spot up in Donegal. Uh, so that'll be that'll be good crack. Uh, it's 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 the Santa problem. Like once you once they know they're getting the gifts, you know they don't have to play good anymore. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. I think he was he was amazed. Uh, we realised one of the reasons he was enjoying it so much is I think it's the first time he's ever been to a detached house, so he's able to run all the way around the house and check the entire place. So he was really enjoying that. Particularly I'm when, just getting him a piece of coal, but he'd probably eat it. I'd imagine. That's true. He was. He he found it very interesting he could leave out the front door run around the house and then go to the back door and get in he was like this is class I'm going to keep doing that <laughs> uh, so that was, he was very easily entertained really um, but no other than that nothing too wild or crazy I suppose we'll kick into the news there's been quite a bit this week we'll start at the top with the recent news Pittsburgh have fired their offensive coordinator Matt Canada follows two and a half seasons of pretty terrible offense to be honest they think they've had no games over 400 yards one game over 300 yards uh two games where they've scored more than 30 points and only seven games with two passing touchdowns or more uh this is this is not uh been a phenomenal run for him uh this is also an interesting swap around for pittsburgh who you know are kind of known to be this kind of stoic never moving always kind of you know let everything run its course style thing they've never fired a coordinator in seasons or reflects probably the organization's concerns around the fact that they have and have had for the last two or three years kind of a championship level defense and they've got young offensive players he's meant to have been training up uh, their quarterback picket and it just hasn't really worked so you can see they're kind of trying to get something moving in that respect because uh, you know we've talked about them quite a bit this year a lot of the games that they have won and there is a sizable chunk of them have just been due to the defense not the 
offense. Uh, running backs coach Eddie Faulkner has been made the interim offensive coordinator and QB coach Mike Sullivan will call plays. Uh, we've been calling for this for a while. Uh, Canada has not been good and their offense has not been good for a while. So it does make sense. It's a bit surprising to have it happen at this stage in the season. They do have a winning record and all that. But yeah, it just it doesn't feel very Pittsburgh to me, but this is definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah, they're super conservative, Pittsburgh, when it comes to coaching change. I think they've only had like three or four head coaches in their entire history or something ridiculous. Um, so that kind of gives you that they like continuity and they like the long-term vision. And uh, I mean, the stats speak for themselves. This guy was just not up to it and his defense was not going anywhere. And you could start to blame things like Pickett or the, the O-line and stuff. But I mean, if you can't produce one really good game in two and a half years, then the, the, you've got to be the guy that the fingers get pointed at. And I, I can understand the timing to a certain extent because they are like, it's they're six and four. They're right there. They've got a, as you said, a championship level defense. They're right there at the cusp of the playoffs. They've a good chance. They've got a fairly weak schedule near the back end. So they're going to pick up a few more wins. So they've a good chance of being in the playoffs. So I guess it's about trying to figure out how to get that offense working for that run because they certainly, this is the best possibly the best Pittsburgh have been in the post Roethlisberger era in terms of their potential for, for winning big. So I guess I can see that you they found the weak spot and they're like, we've got to make the change here and we're going to make it now. So I, I, I again, in terms of the Steelers' history, it maybe is a bit surprising, but in terms of the particular scenario, and I actually don't think it makes it's all that surprising because I think it makes perfect sense that they're like, we got to exploit this opportunity now. We have a chance of winning our division. We have a chance of making the playoffs. We are, This defense can take us deep. All we need is an offense that can just perform adequately, and this guy's not getting us there, so we have to have to move on. Yeah, and I think one big thing is that it, it, the sense I get is that he's kind of lost the locker room, that you had players coming out and making public comments that were either directly negative or which were so roundabout as to be only interpreted in an incredibly uh, negative way. Uh, so Johnson, for example, uh, the running back, you know, it's just been, it's just, you know, once you've lost the locker room, then I think, you know, Tomlin, he's usually got a good feel for where his team is at. And this had just become a problem. And yeah, like he's just been bad, right? Like the idea was this is a guy who had a lot of success at the college level, but we've seen a lot of these college guys in the NFL, they don't adapt. Like the NFL is so much more fast moving than college. You can't just have one game plan and make it work. And he was supposed to bring in a lot of sweeps, a lot of movement, and that basically tried for a little bit, but you know, more and more it's just become more and more static. And there's no explosive element to this offense, except for uh, at least this season, Jen and Warren occasionally doing a thing. And so, you know, if you have a young quarterback who you're obviously trying to nurture into your future franchise quarterback, maybe he's just bad. Like, look, like, you know, maybe don't just blame Canada, maybe blame uh, Pickett as well. But you've got, you definitely want to see if he has a shot of developing into someone uh, like this. Like, this is an offense that's been in the muck for kind of a couple of years with Big Ben towards the end of his career and now the Pickett era and slash Trubisky era. And so I think, you know, with this defense, with so much young, young players on the offense, guys like George Pickens, guys like Jalen Warren, you know, uh, like they just need to do something and get it going here. And, you know, if, if he's unpopular with the players and he's producing at a really low level, then yes, even the Steelers organization, even Mike Tomlin might go, OK, we need to make a change here and, you know, get the vibes the right way so we can make a playoff push. Yeah. So hopefully now we'll see if they're going to be able to 
do something a little bit different. Obviously, it's late in the season for a full change around. Uh, the running back position, particularly General Warren of late, has been productive for them. So Eddie Faulkner going in there, probably making this more of a run-first attack might make sense. But we'll we'll see how it goes. And the QB coach, hopefully, will be close enough to pick it to know yeah, what, like what that's might the thing. work. Even if it reverts to, like, quote-unquote, more boring offense, where it's just run the ball, kind of smash mouth, like, that's fine because the Steelers you know, fateful. That's what they think football is, right? It's just you can't do that and also just be kind of faffing around doing nonsense stuff that doesn't make it. I think the, the kind of play that stood out last week was when there was like a screen pass to Jalen Warren and all three receivers, or it's, I assume it was a screen pass anyway because it went out to a screen pass type area and the three receivers just ran straight past the guys presumably they were supposed to be blocking. Um, <laughs> that's the kind of situation that they're just trying. If you just have competent you know, back to basics football that works enough, then the Steelers fans would be happy enough to take it, especially if it keeps them relevant in the playoff hunt. You know, they're not asking for you to turn into like, you know... Uh, no, the, they need to win three more games and then, you know, nine and eight, yeah. perfect season for them. Yeah, I don't think they're expecting the greatest show on turf as well, let's say. No. Uh, crime and punishment, what are they doing? Probably felonies. Fucking should be at this stage. Denver defensive back Kareem Jackson has been suspended for another four games for foul play. Uh, he took a headshot at Minnesota quarterback Dobbs during uh, the game. It wasn't flagged in game. And uh, as we were talking about beforehand, Fitz, it was. Technically, he was a runner at that stage, which is slightly different uh, rules and might be a question mark that might get the suspension reduced a little bit. But this is the second suspension in this season for this type of stuff. He has shown himself to just not have any interest in changing his style of play, even though these kind of attack, these kind of tackles, sorry, tackles, I was going to say, but that's probably actually a fair way of putting it. Uh, They're just, they're not, they're not they don't really have a place in this game anymore uh, and the fact that you know it's more questionable because he was a runner suggests to me that maybe we need to change some of the regulations for tackling running backs but uh yeah like this guy's filthy get him off the pitch yeah and there was a perverse incentive here because that that headshot led to a fumble that was obviously uh, led to points and it was enough if you if you were just kind linearly like subtract that would have lost them the game Denver so you know from his perspective he made a good play at the time and it wasn't flagged and you know once the quarterback decides to run then you know now they become a running back and now they're basically you know open season to, to do whatever the hell you want to them because running backs get no protection like right now running backs are getting thought more likely to get fined for lowering their head to, to try and make it a few extra yards than they are to see someone suspended or or, 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 or fined for hitting them in the head um so yeah it's in that kind of lacuna of laws but i think you know obviously some people would probably get the benefit of doubt but kareem jackson's benefit of doubt has been so worn yeah. out it does not exist he's, and, he's he's into burford area now at this point yeah. he's in the ah. burford zone so I think it's just one of those cases it wasn't picked up. And like I think it's a situation where his last suspension was appealed down from four to two games. Given that it wasn't flagged in the situation, I wouldn't be surprised if this got brought down again. But as we know, you know, suspensions for on-the-field conduct are so, so rare that even even though it should be four games and it should stay there, um, any kind of suspension for this will reduce his value as a player more and more going forward than any other player who decides to walk in his shoes uh, going forward. Yeah. Uh, trades and signings Arizona picked up running back Michael Carter he was on waivers after New York Jets cut him uh, there's not much of signing around this time of year particularly because uh, a lot of people are gone apart from uh, Joe Flacco is back Joe Flacco uh, has been picked up and is now on the practice squad and hopefully we might see Lee Joe Flacco dragon form later on 
Ah, uh, maybe. So, signed uh, by the the brand, just to be clear, not yeah. the Cardinals. Yeah, uh, but so, just to say, like this followed like a, a players' meeting apparently, where some things were aired out. Apparently, Carter was popular enough in there, and he's the guy who produced as a rookie. Not as relevant this year because they have so many running backs. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe some indication that uh, things were rumbling even before what happened this week uh, in the Jets locker room. Yeah, yeah, no, I I get you. Uh, let's have a look. We had a lot of injuries this week, so that's probably where we're going to have to spend the chunk of this news section. So Cincinnati quarterback Joe Burrow has injured his wrist and he's out for the season. It was strapped up coming into the Week 11 game, uh, and it, uh, out at the start of the second quarter, it was... There's some shenanigans going on in the background of this one. So obviously Burrow's out for the season. This is a crushing loss for the Bengals. It's going to make their season very, very, very tough. Kind of kills off barring something remarkable coming out of the chat behind him um like kills off super bowl aspirations and all that kind of stuff that they might have had uh but from the team management perspective yeah so they put up some social media clips of them coming off the bus and saying we're ready to rock and joe burrow's wrist was wrapped up uh in some kind of suspension protection doohickey and then they immediately took it down because they didn't have him listed on any injury reports or whatever. And this is obviously kicking off because there's fantasy stuff, but more importantly to the league, there is gambling stuff on the line if they're not officially listing these things. And yeah, it seems a little bit weird because they were kind of declining to comment on it and all that kind of stuff. But it seems like they kind of knew that there was possibly an injury to Joe Burrow coming into this. And now obviously he's gone for the season, which isn't great. Well, the, the the claim is that it was a compression sleeve, that it's obviously on flights, you know, so you, that's sometimes recommended to prevent swelling, although why would your wrist be swelling? I don't know. But anyway, um, so, you know, there, there's back and forth in that, but we know there's a lot of misinformation and stuff. So it could just have been a coincidence, but obviously it's a pretty um, unlikely you know, coincidence to have occurred where, you know, he's dealing with that compression on his arm and then suddenly the wrist is... Uh, you know, uh, gets an injury at the end of the season. And obviously, you know, he was really keen to keep playing, but you literally saw him on the sideline trying to grip a ball and it just falling out of his hand, basically. And he looked pretty pissed off at the time that he was officially pulled out of the game. Um, but for the team, this is like, you know, there are, there are very few teams as dependent on their quarterback to kind of carry them through than the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, we know what the Cincinnati Bengals were before Joe Burrow came in. We know what they looked like when he was off injured, and you know it's good for their, I know draft stock, I suppose. But outside of that, it's not looking good. Like Jake Browning, their backup is a guy with basically no experience. Um, as I said, the only thing I know about them is how to make a joke that he has a rifle of an arm, and it's basically just a situation where it's very hard to see this team staying relevant in what's a very very tough AFC North and a very very tough AFC wild card hunt. So. Yeah, like, look, they have a solid defense and they have weapons, so I don't know if it'll be complete complete like that they had pre-Joe Burrow, but it's just, I don't see them as really being a relevant team in terms of the playoffs based on this. Yeah, it, it's just, it's over. I mean, I, I don't think we can, we can, we should mince words about it. The Bengals' season is done. Not, I mean, they're already 5-5. Five and five, so If they were, like, 9-2 and two or something and they could find a way through the schedule, maybe, but there's no way... The schedule that they have facing is hard enough as it is, and without Burrow, I mean, Browning doesn't look too bad. I mean, he he's a rookie, so he makes rookie mistakes, but he didn't look too bad at the the start of the game against the bank, the the Ravens. So there's hope that it's not they're not completely dead as a team, but I just I can't see them. They're going to have to win like maybe five of the last seven games or something, 
which is very difficult to see in this scenario. Plus the the psychological heart, you know, your your leader is gone. The guy who was your star, the guy who made it all possible these past three seasons is gone. That's going to hurt the Bengals as well. So yeah, I I can't I can't see any way the Bengals season recovers from this. To be honest. Yeah, uh, more quarterback news. We've had a lot of movement in the AFC North. Uh, Deshaun Watson has been declared out for the season with a shoulder injury. Uh, so they have signed Joe Flacco to the practice squad, as I mentioned in the signings, uh, having started Doyle Thompson Robinson, isn't it? Uh, mm. In week 11. And yeah, like, look, they looked fine with DTR in, like, not phenomenal but you know like we said Watson hasn't he had a good game last week but overall hasn't been overly impressive um so we'll see like on we didn't know what the upside of Watson was going to be so whether this massively hampers them for the rest of the season we'll we'll have to see Flacco as a backup doesn't exactly at his age fill you with um with a lot of confidence but you know um but this is obviously after a season that's been completely filled with Watson having injuries and then having like mysterious ghost injuries that the team didn't know about, but he did and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, he's crying into his 235 million guaranteed dollars at the moment uh, for not being able to play. He'll be fine. uh, And I don't like him, so I don't care. Yeah, but I mean, there is the question here. I mean, whatever about Watson, and we, we have to take his injury at face value, I suppose, even though he is heavily incentivized not to play. But he could be giving up his chance to be leading, you know, because this was a decision, right? They made a decision to go for the surgery. It's possible he could have played through the pain. I mean, this defense is really, really good. And this team looks like it could actually make a run. Um, and Watson could have been the guy who's the head of that, and now he's gone, and now they have to find something else. The DTR, as I, I'll talk a little bit about in, in the game reviews, he looks like he might have a little bit about him, but I don't know. It kind of depends how much they trust him. Flacco, uh, he's past it. Like there's no, there's no, there's no two ways about it. His last season with the Jets, he was just, he was just terrible. Like there was just, there was just. Basically, he did. He's done the the Peyton Manning thing, where he he played for one season too long, and he just didn't have it anymore. And now he's back again. Like I just, I don't see what role he has other than as some sort of veteran with experience to kind of guide younger the younger guys through it. Yeah. Um. If that's the plan, then then maybe I can maybe see it as in that sense. But if he plays, I don't I don't think he actually makes the Browns any better if he plays. And I. I think DTR is possibly their best option going forward because he's the one guy they don't actually know. They know how good how good slash bad PJ Walker is. They know how good slash bad Joe Flacco will be. They don't really know how good this this rookie kid will actually be. So I say give him a chance because you're seven and three, so you can you actually do a little bit of leeway. You can maybe yeah. lose a game trying to figure things out. So I, I think they got to stick with him. Um, and Flacco makes sense then as, as you know emergency emergency backup. But, uh, yeah, I mean, no sympathy for Deshaun Watson, but he may possibly, he could have been throwing, could have been leading these guys into a Super Bowl, uh, and now he's not, so fuck him, you know? Yeah, I think the situation in the shoulder is that, like, if it got injured again, it could perhaps just be done. Gone, yeah. Like, literally. And obviously, given that they've given him guaranteed money, that would probably not be a good outcome for them. Um, and obviously he's not the reason that they're winning, but I, I could have done that to Hager Raffi where basically, you know, the media and the coaches are like, oh my God, he was so brave to be playing through injuries all season. And, you know, what what a man to, to, to show up and get us that win in week 10. Like, and it's like, oh, please fuck off. Like, you know, the guy has been, 
you know, in and out, injured, mystery illnesses and stuff like that. And now, you know, suddenly, oh man, what a brave person he is. Like, you know, read the room a little bit. Like, you know, you, you don't yeah. have to go that far, right? And that was like both people in the media and like the, like the people in, in-house. Okay, I get it. Like, you know, you, you owe them so much money, you're kind of stuck with them. But like the media, I don't know, a lot of money, a lot of contacts being made use of, I imagine, with the insiders yeah. to get that type of coverage. Yeah, no, it was uh, not, not, not exactly the most... Uh balance of coverage we'll say uh baltimore tight end mark andrews has hurt his ankle and is likely gone for the season although harbaugh has indicated there's a chance he might be able to return late in the season slash into the playoffs san francisco safety uh tuiloa hufanga has torn his acl and he's gone for the season minnesota defensive lineman dean larry has torn his pectoral and he's gone for the season and joey bosa edge rusher of the chargers has hurt his foot and is likely gone for the season although they've put him on short-term ir for the moment giving him a shot to come back in four weeks um yeah these aren't great like baltimore obviously still looking good at the moment but Mark Andrews is a huge part of that offense. I say it likely isn't quite his level to be replacing him. So that's going to be a big negative for them. It certainly changes how they play. I think we saw that in the Thursday night football. They had to figure out a new way of running the offense when they didn't really have Andrews there as, as the kind of the check down option. Yeah. And they did figure it out a little bit. They are being, this is a lot, it's a big loss for the Ravens, no question. But it would have been a lot bigger loss like last season or two seasons ago. This season is like the one season where they do kind of have other options in the passing game. Yeah, and like OBJ's coming on and stuff as well. So the, like, and yeah. the, the rookie Flowers is it as well. Yeah, uh, say Flowers. I mean, so they did. it's not the end of the world and they do seem to have some ideas of how to work around it. It's, it's obviously not ideal. Um, and the, the word is it's deep in the playoffs is, is the, the quote. So they have to... It doesn't look like it looks like if they make a championship game or a Super Bowl to to see he might see him back, but other than that, I don't think we're going to see him. Yeah. Um, so it is a big loss, but I, it's not as world-ending as it could be, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's a good test to kind of see. Okay, you know, I think the wide receiver set has been getting better over the year, but now they've got to step up. And obviously, the run game is good enough, like it's fine, but like. You know, if they're going to close out games and not have the kind of losses they had recently, they're going to need guys to step up, guys like OBJ, say Flowers, etc. Um, as for these other ones, Hufanga, obviously a great story over the last two years, coming in as a, a low-ranked rookie and becoming like a pro bowler, all-pro type player. Um, they did draft another uh, rookie, sa- they were drafting another rookie safety, uh, Brown, and so he's came in and actually made some pretty good plays on a cameo appearance against Tampa Bay, so uh, they'll probably have to hope and, you know, develop and kind of get the next guy up there. Dean Lowry, pretty big loss for Minnesota. Their defense is probably more schemed than team, but he was probably one of the better uh, players in terms of allowing them to kind of stop the run game in particular and getting a few uh, pass plays. And Joey Bosa, like, I don't know what to say, like, the guy is always injured, basically. And I think the only, if he comes back, it'll only because the Chargers are still relevant, which doesn't feel quite likely right now. And I think he's a guy very much on the line to be cut or moved on in the offseason. Yeah, and as you just saw there, uh, Titans right tackle Chris Hubbard is going to miss the rest of the season now with a bicep injury as well, but their team is already dead and gone at this stage. Uh, we'll look at some of the other injuries around the league. Seattle quarterback Geno Smith is on his shoulder and he's day-to-day, but expected to play in Week 12. Kenneth Walker is an oblique injury, so he's probably going to miss at least Week 12, if not more. So we'll see more Jacques Charbonnet there. Uh, Green Bay Aaron Aaron Jones, their running back, has hurt his ankle in his week-to-week. Devondre Campbell, their linebacker, has hurt his neck in his week-to-week, but they're on a short week this week. 
week with Thanksgiving on the cards, so uh, probably going to miss week 12. Tampa Bay, Levante Davis hurt his groin, Jamel Deal his ankle, Carlton Davis his hip, Tristan Wirfs his leg. All of these have not been confirmed exactly how bad they are because uh, we're waiting on MRI results, but that's a lot of people to be going down very quickly. Uh, speaking of which, Buffalo don't have defensive backs anymore. Taylor Rapp has hurt his neck and he's day-to-day. Uh, he had a brief hospital stay after he was carted off uh, in the game. Dar- uh, Taron Johnson, their defensive back, is a concussion and he's week-to-week. And Dane Jackson, their defensive back, is a concussion as well and is also week-to-week. Uh, the Rams wide receiver, Cooper Cup, is day-to-day with an ankle injury. And Devon A. Chain, the Miami running back, has a knee injury. We're not certain on how serious it is, but day-to-day is what they're saying at the moment. But coming off the previous injury, it might be something that they give him a little bit more time to get together and uh, also just to say the Jets left tackle is also going to be out for a week or two as well having hurt his uh, given himself a grade one ankle sprain that's Mekdi Becton so everyone's getting a bit banged up this week Buffalo my god that's uh, because they're already missing some defensive pieces from injuries earlier in the season and now that's a big chunk of their defensive backfield gone as well over to you Josh Allen time to to fire the defensive coordinator as well (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the defensive coordinator is the head coach so that's probably unlikely to happen he'll give up defensive play calling duties <laughs> yeah he already fired Leslie Frazier well didn't fire he retired whatever uh, that was a yeah he retired to be with his family uh, at definitely his own behest yeah but like look Buffalo you know they, they got the win they desperately needed they're back in playoff relevance just about uh, so obviously your defence having a bunch of injuries all in the same place will probably make you more vulnerable uh, we'll see how that works out Tampa Bay you know their defence has been up and down but certainly if you lose Levante David who's been like a pro Bowl all pro guy guy for like a decade that's going to affect you and then you lose two of your top uh, defensive backs you know you'd worry that they're going to give up a lot more points and they're not a team really designed to score a bunch in response Aaron Jones and Devondre Campbell are both two pretty big players for the Green Bay Packers and the Packers are just about on the edge of playoff relevance because the NFC 7 seed is going to be really dumb uh, we'll talk about that as we go forward I imagine um, Seattle Geno Smith injured his shoulder came back in the end of the game looked a little bit affected but was still able to throw the ball okay but obviously very short week and going on with San Francisco not ideal scenario for him and missing out and Kenneth Walker doesn't help but as you said more Jack Charbonnet we'll see what happens there and uh, Cup and A-Chain uh, or A-Chan uh, the big thing is obviously those are aggravations of existing injuries uh, which have kept them out recently so keep an eye on whether they are able to play uh, week on week from those yeah uh, so a bit of a bit of a messy one all around there, but uh, I suppose we'll delve into some of these more deeply in our game reviews this week. So first up, uh, Monday Night Football, Philadelphia at the Kansas City Chiefs, twenty-one to seventeen. Uh, Kansas City kind of had a very mistake-strewn and no points-scoring second half, and kind of let the game slip away from themselves. They had a red zone interception and they had a fumble down there. They had a lot of flags in this game, and yeah, I think this is their third game of the row not scoring points in the second half. So that is not great. Uh, it was kind of a particularly in the second half of performance that was uh, dominated by drops just drops left right and center by players so uh it was not a great look for the kansas city wide receivers in this game whatsoever uh philadelphia claw back from 7 17 halftime uh trailing with uh, mahomes kind of held mostly in check in this game and the wide receivers not helping about 215 yards two touchdowns and an interception hertz had 179 yards two touchdowns and an interception and they were able to get through what was a fairly decent kansas city defense uh, performance they had an interception they 
had five sacks. Uh, they let a little bit of a uh, little bit of the gas off on the on the run game. Though Swift went over a hundred yards and had a touchdown as well. And Smith was nearly uh, just shy, I think, of a hundred yards at ninety nine yards in this. Um, it's a weird one. Philadelphia fans will feel very happy about coming away with the win here. The Chiefs will be very pissed off after this game that they let it slip out of their fingers, quite literally and figuratively, I suppose. Um, We saw a very good game out of Isaiah Pacheco. He really got the run game going and gave him a bit of explosiveness. But uh, even the kind of normally solid options for the Chiefs with uh, Kelsey having he had he had a he had a fumble down in the red zone uh, well I say fumble I've got to give props to the defense they punched the ball out there was a great defensive play as well but you know those are the kind of mistakes that you wouldn't normally expect to be seeing there uh, which is not fantastic from a Kansas City perspective look the wide receivers are not performing well they all need to be sat down and they need to figure some bits out uh you saw some good pieces like Rasheed Rice is very good when it's zoned but just does not have a clue of how to play man coverage anymore I believe his splits are something like he's he's most of his yardage and everything comes on uh, against zone but against man he's only got like a 30 percent catch rate now which is just terrible uh, and if someone's on a bracket Kelsey and then they just go man on the rest like we don't like what are you going to do? Like, there's just not a not a ton happening, so they need to figure that out. That said, on the positives for Kansas City, they kind of won the game on both sides of the line. Like, the offensive line did a great job in this one, and their defensive line, like I said, five sacks in this game. Uh, very, very good, particularly against a very elusive uh, quarterback like Hertz, albeit with a knee injury, so that might have slowed him down a bit. But yeah, disappointment for Kansas City. This should have been a win. Uh, very much so should have been a win uh, there's about four or five different ways it could have been for Philadelphia not their best showing um, but you know you got in on an away game against the Chiefs and you're able to come away with the win you got to be happy with the result if not maybe necessarily the way that you got there um, yeah like I don't see this as the sky is falling for the Chiefs uh, but I do worry about that wide receiver room and figuring out a way to get them I don't know if it's a scheming problem because Andy Reid is not really good on that. It just seems to be that they just don't have the talent there. Uh, someone needs to step it up a little bit. Yeah, I, I do kind of wonder once the dust has settled and the, the the emotions of the immediate result kind of fade, which of these two teams will actually be happier with how they played? Because the Chiefs lost, but it kind of felt like they had they won everything except scoring enough points to win the game like they 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 had a game plan which won on both sides of the ball that they managed to get a run game going against what is a very good run defense they were able to use Kelsey as a decoy to get certain things going in the first half um but the, just offensively it just as you said executions and drops uh, I mean, the drop passes are really starting to define this season. It's, it's starting to feel like the, the Chiefs' season of dropped passes. Um, that becomes a thing. And then on the other side, the defense was just, just played great. You know, they were making plays. They were stifling the Eagles all over the place. I mean, Sneed and McDuffie seem to be everywhere all the time in every play. And Chris Jones had a couple of explosive things as well. So everything seemed to be working for the Chiefs. And they were, they were making an, a very good Eagles team look quite ordinary. But they just... As you say, they just didn't win. They just didn't get the points. If 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 MVS had caught that pass where he was miles clear to give them a lead uh, with like two minutes left, they would have won the game and we would have an entirely separate narrative to talk about. But because of these drop passes, now it feels like a, an opportunity missed. But I think the Chiefs 
taking these two teams in comparison, I'd almost argue the Chiefs look in a better place going forward to actually go deep in the playoffs and win it all. Now, you're right about the, the, the wide receivers. We talked about them before. I made the comparison to the 2006 Patriots where it was just like you just you can't just rely on your star quarterback to just be the guy all the time. Um, you've got to give him some sort of talent to throw towards. And now that Kelsey's kind, kind of feels like without anyone else to throw to, Kelsey, it's far too easy to just double-team Kelsey and to take him out of the game. And you've got to have other guys. And so the other guys have to catch the ball. Like, literally, that's all they have to do. Like, MVS, I think he actually should just go into sprinting because he's very fast, but he's actually terrible at all the things a wide receiver needs to be able to do, um, like run routes and catch the ball. Like, it's it's he's in the wrong sport, I think, ultimately, is what we've got to say that, about MVS. Um, so the Chiefs, I think, I think the defense is in a great place, and they really look like they, it's the best defense I've seen in the Mahomes era for the Chiefs. And the offense, as long as you have Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, and you have Andy Reid to figure things out I think they always have a chance they haven't figured that side of it out yet but we can assume that things will get better going down the stretch so I think they're in a very good place the Eagles despite the win it kind of, it, I mean they absolutely stole this one but they it still just doesn't feel quite right it doesn't feel like they're where they were last year it doesn't feel like a team is evolving to take that step forward it kind of feels like like it's it's a it's a pale imitation. It's it's a kind of a weird parody of last year's team. It's like it's got all the same bits, and every once in a while something will happen to remind you of last season. But collectively, it's not all coming together, and they're relying so heavily, basically, on the touch push as just a way to get the ball down the field. Like like if this team, it's very odd. If this team didn't have the touch push as a play, they would they would be struggling right now. They would they would maybe be six and five or something like that because it feels like they have this play in their back pocket to rescue them in situations where things aren't going well. Um, otherwise. The, the offense isn't quite clicking as much as it should. The, the defense is making lots of mistakes. Kevin Byer looks like an interesting addition, but he's up and down. He blew the coverage on the touchdown. I mean, and you could talk about him being a new guy, but he's been there for almost a month, and he should know the schemes by now. But he also got the pick on Mahomes early on. So it's like they have the talent, the Eagles, and they will win a lot of games. And they're nine and one. Let's let's not let's not you know yeah. beat around the bush in terms of that. They are they are the top ranked team in the NFL at the moment, and will probably be the number one seed in the NFC. I think I think you should feel... say that they're going to go undefeated from this point onward, Sean. I think I think we're, we're building. <laughs> going to lock it down. Lock it down. <laughs> they've, got a, they've got a challenging uh, set of games coming up, so we we will find they out. Do. Yeah, I, 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 I think I, I think I, there's going to be challenges down the line, and I don't know if this team is quite as good as it was last year, or they certainly haven't figured it out as much as last year. Mm. So I come away from this being like Chiefs. Figures one or two things out, and they're going to be a really good team. Eagles, I don't know if they have to start thinking about an awful lot of ways to fixing the problems that they have, because it doesn't feel like they're evolving or improving the way really good championship teams like the Chiefs do as the season goes on. I do want to call out one play that they had, though, that when we're talking about evolving. This was it was a genius idea. It didn't work, but at some point it will, and it was fantastic. I think it was Jalen Carter on mm, the, the spike. spike. Yeah. He, do- he dove underneath the legs of the centre to try and get his hands underneath to intercept the spike, which was just... It's such a... It, 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 it feels like a defensive version of a tush-push kind of thing. It's just like a... Oh yeah, I, t- I suppose someone no should have. Yeah, someone, someone should have tried ne- this before. <laughs> Next time someone tries that, the center's got a teabag him, you know. This oh yeah, lesson. <laughs> or like all, the, all, all the center needs to do is probably just if they shift the leg a little bit, they'll just get done for uh, for, for for trying to take the leg out, right? Because you can't target legs on a center until their heads up. Yeah. Um, I suppose from my perspective, like the fact that the biggest kind of offensive innovation that's talked about this year is. The tush push gives you an idea of where the league is right now. Like I think this game is really 
at a macro level kind of indicative of where the NFL has been this season. Defenses have been winning this season and you know we kind of expect as the season went on teams would figure out whatever the latest defensive innovation is here's how you beat it and it hasn't happened like this is a game where you know two defenses for the most part had the best of it like and you know keeping these teams to around 20 points each is a huge success and in previous seasons would have been seen as almost um unprecedented nearly um except for kind of weird wibbly wobbly games so i and i think that's reflected in how both teams are playing like both teams in this game when the chips were down reverted to old school football they ran the ball really well they played it safe they weren't going it on crazy fourth downs and stuff like that. They were just, okay, we know this game is close. We respect this other team. Let's try to maximize those edges, maximize those probabilities and avoid those mistakes. And really the only reason the Chiefs lost this game is because they made two critical mistakes. Mahomes throw that interception, which was pretty much all on him. Like that was just a bad throw from him. And then Kelsey, it gets kicked out by Bradley Roby and he's obviously going to kick himself because he's like, you know, a very reliable player. Like no matter how good the defensive back is, you don't expect all pro guys like Travis Kelsey to be giving the ball up um and those two meant that the chiefs got like zero points from those two red zone trips and that just let the eagles slowly but surely work their way back into it and yeah i think it's a bit of an aberration the whole like lots of zero points in the second half and i imagine that leaving out just to you know just so statistically and whatever like that but it is an indication that this team obviously isn't scoring the amount of points that we expect from the kansas city chiefs the numbers are down overall and so, you know, but that's just because everyone's scoring less points. So, you know, I think for the Chiefs, like they did what we kind of been asking for, Connor, just run the ball more with Pacheco um, until other teams will soften up on you. And then when they did soften up, the problem is, is that even when that happened, like the guys that you're throwing to are still not good enough. Like Justin Watson gets five receptions in this game. Um, and Justin Watson then drops like six of those, but like uh, he gets six of those, that's, and then he has six drops on top of that. And then Rashi Rice is being used, and he's a bit more explosive at least. But then, yeah, and then the MBS one's the one that's going to stand out because it was obviously like the effectively the last big play of the game. There was obviously the fourth down conversion could have happened, but it was fourth and 25. That, that would be, you know, shocking even for Patrick Mahomes, even though it was on the hand, the guy's uh, hands at Watson. But the MBS play just felt like, okay it's not going to happen, like, you know, or, like, in retrospect, that's how it feels, but, you know, I think, as Sean says, like, you know, the, the NFL is moving in a certain direction, defense is starting to win, and so what matters is winning in the trenches and, quote-unquote, old-school football, and the big thing is that these two teams are chapter contenders, and both these teams are looking really good in that level, so I'm not going to panic about either of these teams, but I think the big thing we need to do is adjust our priors, adjust our expectations, because this is 2023 football. It's tougher, rougher, and more defensive-focused than it has been in the last half-decade or so, and I think Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts, especially Patrick Mahomes, having that in your back pocket that when the chips are down, you really, really really desperate any points they can do the type of thing that they did with MBS but that's not going to be the norm going forward and especially if you're going to be relying on guys like Justin Watson and Miguel Hardman and guys like to make plays for you that's just not the identity of your offense for the Eagles you know they can rely on Devontae Smith and they can rely on AJ Brown although you know the Chiefs did an amazing job of taking away AJ Brown this game by the way held the one catch for eight yards um but, you know, even they, their identity in this game, give it to DeAndre Swift, run it down your throat. So, you know, I think it's interesting. It's an interesting evolution. It was a really high quality game. And I think the, the Chiefs will be really annoyed because they should have won this game if they just avoided a couple of key mistakes. But the Eagles all year, that's how we felt. Like, you know, they keep winning games, even when they don't deserve the win, sign of championship football, etc. You know, I, I don't think they're going to turn into the explosive team that they were last year. But I just don't, I think that might be just because there won't be any teams like that left by the time we get into the real football in January. Yeah. Next up, Chicago, Detroit, 26 to 31. This was a very exciting finish. Detroit destroyed a 12 point deficit with four minutes to go as Jared Goff 
who went for 236 yards, two touchdowns and three interceptions, was able to kind of turn it around after a kind of Jared Goff, Jackoff game that he had at the start of it. It was uh, very, very messy to kick off and it looked like Chicago had kind of came in hot uh, and they, like we said, they were leading by two scores and four minutes left, which is remarkable really when you think about where this team is normally. Um, they leaned on Gibson and Montgomery, the 95 yards and a touchdown and 98 yards and a touchdown respectively. And that kind of kept the minutes up until the tail end when Goff just went into proper destroyer mode. And it's kind of cool to see that he's kind of got that extra gear still in him. Fields, back from the injury, had a pretty nice day. 169 yards, a touchdown uh, and a fumble. But he also had 104 yards on the ground outside of that fumble, obviously. He was just like, yeah, he was kind of putting them in spots where you can see the difference that he can make to a team. Like I said in the previous last week, what you got to hope is he's coming out with his hair on fire, knowing they're going to have two high draft picks and he needs to prove that he's the guy. And uh, it looks like he's trying to kind of trying to prove that pretty hard. Uh, the defense got the picks early on, but like they kind of fell off. So I wonder if it's more a reflection of a slow start for the Detroit than it is like a corner turn for Chicago because they were kind of picked on later on in the game, but that could also be, you know, fatigue and stuff, which, you know, could set in at this stage of a, of a season from the Chicago perspective, a lot of positives to take from this. Yes, he didn't get the win, but Fields looks healthy and he provides a real X factor on that offense. Your defense was doing well in the early parts, just like keep doing that, try and get them to do that for 60 minutes. Maybe from Detroit, bad start. uh, kind of had you slightly worried uh, particularly given that like some of the more recent Detroit games have been their defense letting them down a little bit or allowing a lot of points scored at very least and them having to win boat races but then they kind of stiffened up a little bit on defense were able to kind of cut out some of the mistakes they were making and then the offense clicked back into gear and like that that's what you want to see from a team you want to see a team who can particularly if you're a Dan Campbell you want to see a team who can get punched in the mouth and then get back up swinging and uh, that's kind of what we saw from Detroit in this one four points sorry four minutes ago 12 points down no problem we've got this and uh, yeah there's a beautiful the, the play from Hutchinson uh to get the was it the strip sack and then the kick out of the back of the end zone lovely stuff um so yeah detroit powering on ahead chicago still signs of life in it obviously not for the playoffs this year but signs of life as a team yeah like i think it's it's one of those games that like you know i think the, the detroit lions we all love them we all want them to be great and this is the kind of game which goes yes even when they're in the kind of toughest moments when things are, are down into their darkest days, this team is going to turn around and kick your goddamn ass. And that's the kind of stuff that we want to see. Like, we saw them in a shootout last week. This game, they're in a 12-point deficit. But when the chips are down, this team has a new identity. The old Detroit Lions, the loser Lions, they're gone. And now we see a new fearsome Lion in its place. And you see even Jared Goff, a guy who's obviously gone through some pretty tough games in his career. Uh, like, you know, especially the Super Bowl that he played in, you know, and and and, and in many cases not being able to turn it around has always been a guy who seemed to have a little bit of a fragile ego or like a, like a, bit, a little bit fragile in this game throws three interceptions and they were all pretty bad interceptions like, like let's not say that it's good that this happened obviously it seemed like the bears seemed to be you know know the the lions playbook better than he did himself but the fact that when the chips were down at the end and he was willing to still air it out got that deep throw um to jameson williams that got them back uh, in this game rear 
very, very quickly when there were 12 points down. Lots of really good throws to Amon Ra, as we usually get every week. That that was really, really important. Because, like, you know, we know the run game works. Like, the run game absolutely blasted the ass of the Chicago defense for most of this game. Like, you have two guys nearly going for 200 yards, and the Gibbs-Montgomery um, tandem just looks unstoppable at the moment. Like, a lot of that's due to the offensive line being, you know, out of this world good at the moment, now that they're all fully healthy. But those two guys are really making a huge difference. Gibbs adding that explosive element. Monty, obviously really good in the in, in, in the tight ends, but also showing some of that swagger that he never got the show in Chicago, being on all those terrible teams. And, of course, he got the touchdown that got them the win here. Um, so, obviously, a little bit of revenge there uh, to make things a little bit extra sweet um, uh, for Montgomery uh, uh, to, 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 to cap off this game. So, I think the, you know, the biggest issue with the Detroit Lions is that their defense has just I don't know what happened to it. It was okay in earlier in the season. Now it's just turned to complete trash and it's leading to these absolutely brilliant games that we all want to watch. But that is the thing they would probably want to fix if they want to be a genuine Super Bowl contender when they get into the tough day. But for now, they're just beating teams. Uh, every week I want them to win. Every team, I, every week I think I will predict them to win. Um, but it's, it's, you know, the offense, I think a game like this just solidifies uh, in our minds and for the entire league that this team is, can never be counted out. And that's just the Dan Campbell experience. But I think for the Bears, was also a hugely positive win obviously they've had like what four or five weeks of Tyson Bajant and you know Justin Fields is basically playing for his franchise quarterback spot with the Bears obviously they're going to have probably the first overall pick probably another top 10 pick if not top five and so obviously they will have a temptation to pick a quarterback if Fields is not looking good down the stretch but thankfully he comes in here looks really really good he throws a really lovely touchdown where he just steps into the pocket and you can see the safety suddenly oh he's going to run and that just gives them the brief spec second uh, where the trailing safety wasn't able to break up the pass and he got a lovely touchdown to DJ Moore but he also rushed for over 100 yards something which we hadn't seen as much of this year but we obviously was a big part of his breakout last year but if he can become just a good passer with that rushing skill then obviously being a good passer will force the rushing to become more and more of a factor because teams can't defend both at the same time and of course that means that if he can succeed this year for the rest of the season if, if Justin Fields can play at this level uh, and hopefully against better defences um, then instead of being replaced by a new quarterback he might be getting Marvin Harrison Jr. He might be getting a stud left tackle um, in the draft next year and then who knows where this offence might be next year but you know Iberflus Fields they needed a good performance desperately they could have done with a win um, for, for certain uh, they would have probably would have preferred the win but a great performance like this against obviously you know the biggest competition in your division will help calm the horses and hopefully keep the go there. I don't know if Iberflus deserves to be there, but I think if Fields plays at this level, there's no way you can really afford to get rid of him. Um, or even if you do get rid of him, at least you're going to get a whole bunch of picks um, during a trade for him. Like the defense, even though it's still not good, and obviously they gave up the lead here at the end, has at least been showing some progress from the absolute trash fire that this was for the first half of the season. So I think at all levels for, for, for Chicago, if they could just have more performances like this, calm the horses, move forward and bring hope into 2024, that's really all you can ask for because with the bounty of picks and resources they have in terms of cap space there's no reason why they couldn't do a really big step forward um in the off season uh, but for now we just need to see fields play well and even through prove, prove that he actually deserves to be at this level in terms of a coach yeah i i, I think the Eberflus thing is is kind of where we where we need to zero in on here because the bears played really well in this game against one of the best teams in the NFC for three and a half quarters and then they just let it slip and they let it slip because Iberflus went way too conservative um, and allowed the, the Lions to chip back in, chip chip away at the, at, the, at the lead and eventually get back in. I mean, 
in a situation like this, you're usually you're supposed to go for the kill, right? This is why teams keep trying to, you know, go for touchdowns near the end of games just to to pad up the score or whatever. Because a twelve point lead, albeit you know, Roland's probably right about the way that the league is evolving, but a twelve point lead isn't much in a league where teams can score very quickly. So if you're going for field goals over touchdowns late on, that that's not the way we're to go. You're trying to prevent running a prevent defense when you're when you're trying to protect a lead is just you're just asking for for chunk yards to be taken away from you. Teams have got very good at you know walking down the field using say nine or ten plays rather than four or five like that that's teams have gotten really good at that so don't fall into that trap and this is the this is the thing about the bears that they they played so well in this game for so long but they ultimately lost because probably because of the coaching or you could also maybe say the experience they maybe just weren't they're not used to leading good teams this late and and maybe they just didn't they didn't know how to how to shut it down um but definitely green shoes there i mean they did a good combo of run and pass plays to get the offense going early as you, as ronan said Justin Fields had some nice moments where he's starting to exploit the fact uh, his, his run threat to get some throws away. Uh, Darnell Wright did a very good job keeping Aiden Hutchinson quiet for most of the game. On the defensive side, the, the secondary was doing some interesting things, but also making a lot of mistakes. I mean, Jalen Johnson had two interceptions that he could have gotten that he, he missed. Eddie Jackson started missing tackles. It, it ultimately came down to things like execution and, and things like like playing too conservative. So the Bears, I mean, it's, it's re- as it's really, I think I've said this before, it's really hard to know where this team is because it's very much a team they're not even in transition they're a team that's waiting to get into transition they're a team that's waiting for next next season is there is there is there a year where they'll start to build something interesting and so this year is almost a write-off for everyone except justin fields because he's the one guy who has to kind of fight for his job pretty hard so i don't really know what to make of this bears thing other than that they're an interesting team that are, that are definitely better than they were last year and the year before that but I don't know if that qualifies them as being good because I think they've, they've got too many flaws in both uh, players and coaching. In terms of the Lions, you know, you can say, oh, they, they won, they, they grinded it out, they, they stepped up, you know, they were clutch when it mattered, et cetera, et cetera. But for a team that wants to, like, go deep in the playoffs and make a Super Bowl, there are some worrying deficiencies that are, that are becoming more obvious by the day. The defense has really regressed. Like, like... The thing that changed about the Lions last year that turned them from a team that started 1-6 and six to a team that finished winning 8 of the last 10 games is their defense figured things out and started playing really well and stopped giving up 30 points a game. And now they've completely regressed. The, the, whatever solutions the Lions found uh, this time last year, suddenly I think maybe teams have figured them out or they found some other new flaws to exploit, but the defense is just looks terrible at the moment. It looks like the clear weakness on that side. And when they're going to get into you know late season situations where you know they they're trying to protect their divisional the the lead in their divisional title in week 18 against the Vikings or they get into the playoffs against the 49ers or the Eagles or something those defensive woes might be the thing that beats them the the, the Achilles heel the other thing of course to be worried about is Jared Goff he had an absolute nightmare game up to the last 4 minutes which i don't think excuses the fact that everything up to that point uh, was pretty terrible. Uh, you can't you can't go around throwing three touchdown interceptions a, a game. I mean, better teams would have beaten the Lions off the park in this one. So the Lions, it's lovely to see them win, and you know this is the best one they've had since the 1960s, and they've won 16 of their last 20 games. And isn't it amazing the Lions are good now? But you look under the bonnet and you're like, actually, this team has got an awful lot of really bad, worrying flaws that you hope they figure out because I just worry that this team is going to get into like a divisional round game probably at home, 
and they're going to get absolutely blown out by somebody because they will go, oh, we can take this defense. It's all of these all of these problems that we can exploit. Let's do that. That's what worries about the Lions, that all this wonderful, good and happy news will come crashing down uh, in the playoffs because they haven't solved the various obvious but problems that they have. At a meta level, it almost feels like it's progress for you to say this because one of the reasons that you've said you've loved the Lions up to this point is because you have talked about how they're a flawed team and how that makes them more lovable. But now you're invested in a team and you want them to not just be lovable, you want them to be great. And now you're like you're killers. going... I want, right the flaws, I want the flaws to, to make it so we don't know if they're going to win or lose. I don't want the flaws to mean that they're going to get blown up by 40 points when they play the Eagles uh, in the playoffs. That's, that, there's, a, there's a distinction there. there there's, a, there's a level of flaws that are enjoyable for supporting a team, <laughs> but you go beyond that and they're just bad, right? And I we don't want the line to be bad. We're getting into the philosophy of aesthetics <laughs> here. I love it. <laughs> Uh, you know, so next up, Pittsburgh at Cleveland, 10-13. to 13. Cleveland grind out an AFC North, like, slobber knocker wrestle match uh, with a Hopkins 34 yard field goal winner uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson 185 yards and interception wasn't great but you know find a little bit of groove towards the back end of the game their defense is what kept this one like within reach for them three sacks nine tackles for a loss and you know getting the other team's offensive coordinator fired is always a good <laughs> sign of a defensive performance uh, Pickett had 117 yards he was awful. There's a great video up online if you want to look at it of every pass that he threw beyond the sticks. It is very short and only one completion. <laughs> it is brutal to watch. Uh, kept missing open reads. Didn't really seem to know what he was doing. You can see why they decided it was time to make a change. Uh, two-thirds of their offense came from Jalen Warren, if I remember the numbers correctly. He had 145 yards and a touchdown. Um and that's basically the only reason that they didn't have zero points on the board. This was a shocking performance from Pittsburgh. Their defense played well, but again, you're against, you know, a rookie. So you'd kind of expect a good defense to play well there. And they did hold them down to 13 points. Like, you would say objectively in this day and age, if your defense can hold a team to 13 points, you should win a game. Like, that should be the bottom rung of standard for what your offense should be and Pittsburgh's was below that so there's not really much more to be said on that hopefully that turns around with the changes from Cleveland their defense played really well kept them in a game uh, they held them to 10 points which is below that standard and uh, therefore were able to win the game um, we'll see what the ceiling on this offense can be though because you know Pittsburgh are a good defense so maybe maybe the Browns with DTR under center are a 21 points a game team. And if they can get to there, they do have a defense that's of the standard that could get them winning games at that level. Maybe not against the top teams, but like, you know, that's, that's a doable thing. Whereas for Pittsburgh at the moment, unless they get changes on offense, you got to be looking at it going, okay, we need to hold them to seven. Like, that's it. We need to hold them to six points. Like, there's fucking, like, there's nothing. Like, the, the offense is producing nothing. And they have talented players out there. Um, They just don't know what they're doing with them. And I'd, I'd be very intrigued to see whether or not we see a bit of progress from Pickett with, like, a cut-down, simplified run-first playbook or what. Uh, Because they also, they're coming, he's in what? This is his second year, is it? Or is it third year? Yeah. So, like, they need to figure out where they are with him because this is a team that's, you know, big rapey bed and all that was very problematic, but they kind of knew where they where they were with him and they kind of could build an offense around what worked with him. 
they've just been rudderless at the quarterback position since he's been gone and they need to figure out do they need to cut bait on Pickett um, or is this all kind of a blame Canada situation uh, for, for Cleveland you know hopefully you can get the offense moving a little bit more because your defense is looking good um, but I would definitely outside of even just them winning here I would be having Cleveland with definitely more in season upside than I would be looking at the Steelers with yeah, this is a good old-fashioned, proper AFC North slobber knocker. Enough of your 33-31 nonsense. This was a proper game with a proper score. Um, I, I agree with you entirely that the Steelers' problem... I mean, it's it okay. It's convenient to blame Canada, Matt Canada for what happened, but yeah, Pickett's just not good enough. Like, like I think we just need to just recognize that he's not good enough to be a starting quarterback on an NFL team and certainly not an NFL team that is six and four and is looking at a a, a deep playoff run because they've got talent all over the rest of the place. What's really worrying about Pickett, and there's a number of Steelers fans online complaining about this, is that there wasn't that much difference between how these two offenses were running in this game, that they were both playing it really conservative in terms of trying to maximize the running game, short passes, screens, don't make too many mistakes. And the reason the Browns were doing that because it was because the quarterback was like in his second game that he's ever played in the NFL. Whereas Pickett, is it is, is, he's, he's like played 25, 30 games in the NFL by now. So Pickett is, he's, He's being, he's being treated as a rookie because he has not developed in any way since then. And it's interesting to see, is there some way, is it the OC, is there some way to, to kind of move beyond that? Is someone going to be able to teach him stuff? It's not going to happen. The, the problem is it's not going to happen this season. Whoever's going to come in isn't going to be able to fix Pickett overnight. I suspect they might just, whoever comes in or the, the interim that they've set up, they might just pivot towards Trubisky because at least he's someone you can rely on to occasionally score points, which is quite an important thing for an offense um, to do. It's, it's yeah, it's, it must be so frustrating for a Steelers fan because this defense on their own is good enough to carry them into the playoffs. Um, it's kind of like the, the same thing with the New York Jets. You've got a really good defense who's on their own, is capable of keeping them in every single game they play. And just the offense just can't score any points. And it just must be the most frustrating thing to watch it all. And I mean, it isn't just Pickett. The O-line is, it looks absolutely terrible at the moment. The skill positions, nobody except for John Warren is doing anything. No one is consistently producing anything at all. They, they seem to have real problems in terms of the talent level that they have around them. But even the players who should be producing, like Najee Harris and George Pickens, are, are just, they're not there. It's... So the thing that gets to me about the Steelers, though, is that they do have quite an easy, a, a relatively comfortable run-in stretch. They've got the Colts. Up, up in the seven games they've left or whatever, they're playing the Colts, they're playing the the Pats, and they're playing the Bengals, the Burrowless Bengals. So that's three wins that the defense on their own should get them. And that gets you to nine wins. Like So they're not even asking that much of the offense at this point, just to put them in a position where, where the defense can win. And as you say in this game, the defense held the the other side to 13 points and they still couldn't win the game. So it must be so frustrating in terms of that. In terms of the Browns, uh, what's interesting here is what happened as the game went on. So they started off obviously very conservative in terms of the game plan. Don't make mistakes. Let's rely on this defense to grind it out, running game, etc. But then when they had to score or there was an opportunity to win the game right at the end, they kind of took the shackles. Stefanski kind of took the shackles off DTR a little bit, um, and it worked. He found his grooves. He was four out of four on the final drive. He got them down to kick the field goal. I wonder if this is now 
what what's going to be really interesting is what happens next week when they play the Broncos. Are we going to see them being, being being trusted more? Because this is what you should do with a rookie, right? You you tell them this is the plan. Don't deviate from plan. Don't make mistakes. And then you trust him a little bit to do a little thing here and there. And then the next game, you rely on that little thing that you trusted on him, and you build and you build and you build until you have something good. It's never happened with Pickett because he's never been able to evolve beyond that certain point. It never happened with someone like Mac Jones, for example, who, who when he did evolve, then proceeded to de-evolve uh, because he had a terrible OC in the second year. Whereas with DTR, it's interesting to see the next step they take. Now, hopefully, as I said earlier, they don't go back to, to Flacco or to, or to God-forsaken, for God sake pj walker but uh i think they might have something in dtr here because the defense is good enough that they too can grind the browns into a playoff spot and they are seven and three they're in a even better position than the Steelers are all they need is a quarterback who isn't going to make too many mistakes and can be relied on to get the ball down the field every once in a while and it'd be interesting to see if they find a way to make that happen uh for dtr so the browns uh, you know obviously hugely morally problematic franchise but they look in a really interesting place now to compete quite deeply uh i expect to see them in the playoffs i expect nobody's going to want to play them in the playoffs because his defense is horrible to play against with the steelers uh, yeah they 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 might get a wild card spot i would say and then it's just going to be like has the offense evolved enough that they can put up some sort of fight in the in the in the in the wild card because against good teams you're just not going to get anything with this offense is working right now so i can understand why the change was made i maybe it's time to give up and pick it and, and see what trubisky can do um but both of these teams have really good defenses. They just need offenses is to do enough to work it out, and it kind of feels like yeah. the Browns are maybe figuring out how to do that. Yeah. Next up, Arizona, Houston, sixteen to twenty-one. Houston survive a bad Stroud game. What are these? Are these even allowed? Uh, three hundred thirty-six yards and two touchdowns. But he threw three interceptions. Sixty percent of his interceptions this year came in this game. Uh, he got quite reckless in the end zone, in particular with one pass to Tank Dell that got picked off. Uh, Dell still had a hell of a day, though. One hundred forty-nine yards and a touchdown. Singletary went over one hundred and ten with a touchdown. It was uh, overall okay, but yeah, just very the kind of sloppiness that we hadn't seen out of him uh, so far this season. Kyler was fine. Two hundred fourteen yards of touchdown interception he did lots of running around lots of surprise throws but also like you know was making mistakes as well throws coming up short maybe miscommunication with uh with 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 players and even just like knowing where the down marker is like you know he had a lot of ones that were coming in before the downs and that was that was a problem um but yeah look houston again centered themselves got themselves back into the right kind of frame of mind and got the job done against a team that they should have beaten. Uh, like, it's fine. This was a very mid-game to me to a certain extent. Like, it's it's good to see Stroud being able to shake off mistakes and keep playing. He didn't allow it to affect him too much, which was what you want to see. And it shows a level of maturity that, you know, is surprising in a rookie, but not that surprising when you look at how he's played so far this season. From the Arizona side, there's just a bit of a, like, a talent... Uh, deficit here on this team like Kyler is fine but you know it feels too improvisational at times it doesn't feel like he's nailed into the system that's probably because there's a new uh, call of duty out this week so he has been <laughs> distracted somewhat he's getting poor reviews so so he's playing okay he's not playing terrible yeah he's not he's not too locked into it yet um 
But yeah, like yeah, James Conner is okay, but he hasn't looked quite as explosive post the uh, post the injury earlier in the season, and like they don't have that many weapons. It was it was. You know, Arizona had a moment there where they're like, oh, our defense is giving us a good shot here. Maybe we can do something. And then they just kind of sputtered it away a little bit. So quite underwhelming from the Arizona side. From the Houston side, not their best performance, but got the job done. I would imagine we won't see too many three interception games. Uh, Podcurse just being dropped on stride there by mistake. <laughs> but um, yeah, like, you know. If you're taking a rookie game, I said three over 300 yards, two touchdowns and three interceptions, you'd say that's not great, but it's also not terrible. Uh, it's just that by the standard that he's been setting for himself of late, uh, it's a real bad game for Stroud. Yeah, and he obviously threw an interception late last week against Cincinnati, which nearly cost him the game. So my working theory is that he is being subjected to the poison from the cinematic masterpiece Crank, and he simply has to keep his adrenaline up at all times. And the only way to get that done as a quarterback is to make every game a one-score game, which is what he's managed to do for the last six weeks. And basically, when the other team isn't good enough to get a one-score game, he has to force that shit. Um, uh, it might have also been that he got like an absolutely punch in the gut, um, in the middle of this game, and then two interceptions came after that, so his, his uh, bell might have been rung a bit, but look, Stroud, like, the first half of this game looked imperious outside of an interception. Um, he was finding tag Dell, it felt like, uh, at any point, at any time, and Dell was just ripping open this Arizona defense um, again and again and again, and it just felt like, okay, second half, you know, you don't have the lead that you want, but you're also running the ball well. That's been one of the weird things with the Texans the last few weeks. It's like, suddenly, you know, Damian Pierce goes out, you put in Devin Singletary, and suddenly they've turned into one of the best rushing teams in the NFL and I think a lot of that's to do with the offensive line finally being healthy and this is a good offensive line on paper um, with guys like Larry Tunsil and suddenly you're kind of going like you know the Texans don't have to be that fun if they don't want to be but I do tag them for continuing to be fun week on week despite uh, the capacity to not be um, and in this game it was kind of a, just a stupid game but the last bit like you know two interceptions from uh, CJ Stroud and then the Carolina sorry the, the the Cardinals be like failing on downs three times um in you know some uh, you know some just kind of tipped away by the defender but I think the Trey McBride miss in particular stands out where Kyler just missed him and that just felt like the Kyler Murray experience uh, the last couple of weeks where like you get the big plays you get the the Rondale Moore bomb earlier on for the touchdown you get a little rushing touchdown you get him rushing around and doing his little Kyler Murray stuff and you can almost hear like you know like Peter Patter like me uh, road on her shit but you know it's not sustainable right it's not what you need when you're in a one score game you just need to score yeah. points right um and it'll be interesting to see what this team does i think they're winning you know that they're in the top five probably for picks but will that be enough to justify picking someone else uh like a quarterback over Kyler murray and trading away i don't really know but i imagine it's john Gannon. like i saw him early on at that touchdown he looked pumped but then the, I saw him later on, he looked so goddamn annoyed. And yeah, I think that's just like, you know, I think the Arizona are just like the bad versions of the Texans, right? They're just worse in terms of talent. And they're just uh, also equally capable of just doing kind of some dumb stuff. And Kyler's like a bad version of Stroud because he doesn't have the anticipation. He doesn't have the pocket presence of Stroud. So, you know, I think the Texans, they're on the Ascension. The Cardinals, as ever, are just stuck in, you know, their weird Carolina, Carolina, Car uh, Cardinal zone. Um, but, you know, I'm glad the Texans won this game. It sets up a really good game in week uh, 11. Uh, sorry, week 12. Um, and so, you know, I think some games are just hard to analyze because they're dumb. This game was dumb. The Texans get it done. But, uh, yeah, they certainly give Cardinals as many chances as they probably deserve. 
Yeah, uh, Minnesota, Denver, 20-21. to 21. Wilson went for 259 and a touchdown, and he finds Sutton through double coverage. Uh, Sutton had 66 yards and that touchdown to kind of cap a fairly decent display. It was a bit grim, though, up to that point. It only just had field goals uh, throughout. Like, Minnesota were doing decently on defense, getting the pressure on it. Dobbs was, like, fine. Uh, 221 yards, uh, touchdown, an interception, and a fumble. Um, like, if it wasn't for the turnovers, it would have been a, kind of a, a good game. But it was, as we mentioned in the news section, you know, there was a shot to the head that came into him from Jackson. Like, they were getting, they were getting as physical as they could with him. They were very clearly on a, on a defensive plan to kind of limit the amount of running he was doing and try and force him inside. Uh, like we said, this Denver defense over the last six or seven weeks has been far improved and they showed it here. They were, they were you're, quite... you're not implying Sean Payton's defense was playing a little uh, beyond the edge, were you? Oh, no, I couldn't possibly <laughs> couldn't possibly suggest something like that because I'm sure he's quite litigious. Um, uh, Madison had 81 yards here. Uh, he was kind of splitting duties as well and yeah, like it was, it was fine for Minnesota, but it was lacking a little bit of the the spark or the excitement that the last two weeks have had. And that, you know, as I said, that was my concern about them going in and why I had Denver picked in this game because, uh, you know, they uh, Dobbs is, is is exciting, but as soon as there's tape on him and they know within the system what he likes to do, it will probably become a little bit more easy to control him. And this, like I said, is a much better Denver defense, and you know they were at the start of the season and they obviously just keyed in to try and stop that. Wilson looked fine, but again, like they, they lack a little bit of ruthlessness or something towards the tail end, like settling for five field goals and essentially trailing for the majority of the game. is just not a great look. Um, and like, like we said, they've got weapons there. They've got Sutton, they've got Terry Judy. They've got a lot of, options and we've seen in other games them light it up a little bit more and you know credit to minnesota's defense they kept them quiet and particularly in the red zone they stiffened up and forced them to stick to field goals but you know for both teams this is going to be a bit of a you know whiteboard session on the monday morning to to, to, to figure out what to take away from denver it's going to be you know we need to find more explosive plays and we need to find a way to utilize our players in the red zone better for minnesota it's going to be why did our offense disappear so much towards the tail end? And what can we do to scheme Dobbs open? There was a couple of very bizarre plays in this one as well. If I remember correctly, wasn't there one where TJ Hawkinson took the snap and then pitched it out to Dobbs on the edge that went for essentially no gain? Like, don't start overthinking shit too much, Minnesota. Like, Dobbs was working in the system. Stick to it. Get it to work normally. Like, you know, if you need a spark, maybe try and pull something like that out. But, like, there's no point in putting Hawkinson under center. Like, it's just silly, and you're putting Dobbs out with a very hard-hitting defense that has already had a player suspended for targeting, and you're giving them a chance to get a run at and and, and take on your your quarterback. And you like you traded for him. You don't have any other options. Protect the man a little bit. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's that's my advice to, uh, to Ken O'Connell. Yeah, it's... It's a it's a weird game, right? Because you look at all the stats, um, and you think Minnesota won this game comfortably. That they they are ahead on total yardage, first downs. They killed them on rushing yards, third third down efficiency. You know they punted less. They had more ten minutes more times of possession. It was just like the only thing the 
the Vikings didn't do in this game was was not was stop turning over the ball. They gave away three turnovers and they didn't score enough points. And if you, th- you wonder about how the Chiefs didn't beat the Eagles, you have to wonder if Kevin O'Connell's coming away from this game wondering, how do we not beat this team? We kept them out of the red zone for almost the entire game and they still managed to, 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 to win. Um, I, I don't really know coming out of this game, you know, if I... The, the Vikings, I think, look good-ish. They certainly seem to have, you know, certain thing about them and Dobbs gives them a certain options and I, and, I, and I think they're going to be quite live and, and I do kind of feel like they may go into week 18 against the Lions with the uh, the chance of winning that division. I kind of feel like that might be how good they are. They certainly might, if there is going to be, it looks like the NFC is quite deep in terms of wild cards. I think the, the Vikings have a very, very good chance of making it in there. But it's very hard to critique, critique exactly what went wrong for the for the Vikings. They they played a quite conservative zone defense, and you could say maybe they shouldn't be doing that, but they it still worked for most of the game. They, they restricted the Broncos to, to five field goals right until the very end of the game. They maybe should have been given more rushes to Ty Chandler since he was having more effective, but Madison had a fine game, and he, he, was, he was getting good. Like, everything seemed to be fine for the Vikings, except for the fact they went down near the end of the game, uh, only up by five points with the Broncos having a chance to win, um, and that they maybe hadn't done enough in the second half, right? That the Broncos had, they had this bend, don't break defense, which wasn't really working all that well in the first half, and in the second half, they kind of went a little bit more aggressive, and Justin Simmons, who I, who I talked about before in the pod, was making some good plays, McMillan was making some good plays, and the Broncos were hanging around, hanging around, and but it kind of felt like the Vikings were going to see it out. And then the Broncos literally had one good drive and they won the game. And, you, okay, you got to credit Sean Payton for, you know, finding a way to win this game and making this team look competent and the defense, improving the defense immeasurably and making Russell Wilson look not as terrible as he did last year. And Sutton and P. Ryan are developing into interesting go-to players and you kind of feel the Broncos are developing something. But I still don't know if they're actually any good. You know, I still kind of feel like they're not a good team, but they're they're winning games. And I, they're, I think they're, are they 5-5 five and five or something like that now? They're definitely in contention now. Uh, they got to be talked about as a potential playoff team. I just don't know if they're as good as any of the other teams in the Like, how do they compare to someone like Cleveland? How do they compare to someone even like Pittsburgh? Like, I don't think they're as good as any of these teams. Um, I don't even know if they're better than the Chargers, and they have a better record than the Chargers. It's a a strange game that the Vikings really should have won, but somehow they just didn't take care of business enough, allowed the Broncos to hang around, and then the Broncos finally figured it out right at the end, and they won the game. And now the Vikings could have kept a lot of pressure on the Lions, have kind of eased off and given the Lions a little bit of of room at the top of their division. It feels like they're going to have to stick for the wildcard spot. And for the Broncos, they're, they're just, around they're they're five and five and they're still there i don't know if teams particularly want to play them i don't think it's an enjoyable experience to play them but i don't think they're actually any good and if they do make the playoffs i don't expect them to make any impact outside of the wild card um maybe in a couple of years sean payton will have built something here and you can certainly it's certainly an improvement but it's it's still not good in my opinion it's still not a good team yeah and uh, as we said look there's lots of games and we like to talk about all the games, but some of them are better than others, and Fitz is a particular fan of the other ones. So we're going to give him all the other ones in the dump-off. Yes, week 11 a dump-off, and some really good candidates here. And uh, first candidate perhaps is worthy of a proper review, but no, Chargers, you don't deserve it anymore. You are bad, and until you fire Brandon Staley, which 
be fair, seems pretty close at this point. Uh, you're not getting any more attention. Uh, 20 to 23 loss uh, for the Chargers here. And they blew it in so many ways. They had a nice Eckler red zone fumble. That's pretty good. Two drops by Keenan Allen, one of the best receivers in the league in terms of his hands. You know, one bad, one inexplicable. I don't know if just like I don't know if it could be any more into his chest uh, if he, you know, unless a medic from the Chargers was working on him, uh, like Tyrod Taylor. Um, and then of course the one that got all the attention, the Quinton Johnston um, <laughs> drop at the end of the game that could have either got them within field goal score to, to tie it up, or looked very likely could have been a touchdown as well. Uh, but Quinton Johnson has stone hands, creating more Chargers moments for the rest of the league to enjoy. And this all game among one of Herbert's probably best games. He was really, you could sense the desperation from him. 260 yards and two touchdowns, but also 73 yards rushing. He was running a lot in this game. And he's a pretty good rusher as well, but it's not something you generally have seen from him. But he was like, I, we have to win and there was a I think a, there was a five yard penalty like a false start uh, laid on in this game and he was pissed afterwards so I don't know this whole thing feels like it's about to explode um, and this whole thing's about to change very much so as for Green Bay well they were there uh, Love actually had one of his better games over 300 yards and two touchdowns uh, still has his you know, number of errant throws but overall very good and got the ball out to his young weapons Wicks, Dobbs and Reed um, and the Green Bay defense made the critical plays like it wasn't just uh, the Chargers fucking up, though that was a large part of it, but they did make some critical plays like the Eckler fumble, so, you know, Green Bay, technically relevant, because the NFC 7 seems really dumb, but, uh, you know, they can move on from here, the Chargers nearly properly dead at this point. Next up, Seattle at the Rams, 6-17, really bad loss for Seattle, as they go into a really tough part of their schedule, they're going to rue being very inefficient early on in this game, where they failed to turn production into points, um, they had a miscommunication on their final drive, um, which meant that they had to settle for a 55-yard field goal, which was hooked uh, by Myers. Um, apparently, the helmet was out for Gino. That's part of the reason. Like Gino was fine here, didn't have any turnovers, uh, and he was uh, pretty good. Uh, but he got hit uh, in this game um, and had to leave for two drives. And Locke came in was awful. So all those people are saying, "Hey, bring in Drew Locke. He's better than Gino." No, you're wrong. Like, like Gino wasn't having a good season, but he's not fucking Drew Locke. Okay, stop it. Um, and that, that that's what it is for Seattle. So it's a heartbreaking loss. Uh, but obviously a huge credit has to go to Matthew Stafford and nearly 200 yards, a touchdown, inception. He was fighting through a lot of hits himself. He had to leave the game briefly himself. Uh, Cup was injured in this game, so he's only playing with Kukunaku and a bunch of guys. Uh, and really outside of some running back play on their final drive, it really was just Matt Stafford doing everything. And, uh, you know, the Rams, their the hoodoo over Seattle continues and they get a win that keeps them, uh, like Green Bay, just about on the, on the playoff precipice. Um, next up, Vegas at Miami, 13-20. Miami hold on here despite a bunch of their own mistakes. They had three turnovers, they missed a field goal, they had a number of critical flags. Um, and really, just because they have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Ramsey to get away with it, so you, you buy the superstars, you get superstar play. Hill goes nearly 150 yards in touchdown, and his touchdown was literally like no one else could do that. He just got the ball and just zoomed past the Vegas defense. I don't know what you do about that. And Ramsey, his two picks were impressive, but the one that won the game at the end, particularly so, coming out of basically nowhere to get it and to get a pretty big shot to the, the chest as well from the ball. So, Vegas, they played hard in this game. The defense. Uh, got those turnovers obviously but the offense under O'Connell is just kind of mid middling like he had nearly 200 yards here but three interceptions just isn't going to get it done and with Jacob's stuff the identity of this team outside they get Devontae Adams some more production isn't really existing like you know I think Vegas they have something here but it's probably not O'Connell as the future of the franchise. Uh, Tampa Bay, San Francisco 14-27. This game was 
close-ish first half, and then the, the dam broke in the second half. Uh, San Francisco dominated on both sides of the ball. Purdy was perfect in terms of his QB rating, 323 yards and the three touchdowns. Ayuk was over 100 yards, Kittle was nearly 100 yards in the touchdown, and the defense really clamped down late with a, an interception and two turnover and downs, but uh, two of those uh, turnovers coming in the red zone. And Baker, to be honest, while fighting hard and really putting himself out there, uh, 246 yards, a touchdown interception, could have been intercepted like two or three separate times as they were trying to come back. But they're just not a team that could match San Francisco, and certainly not when they're trying to make up a deficit. San Francisco, back to their best. Giants at Washington, 31-19. to Oh, what a garbage time game this is. What a dump-off game this is. Hello, hello. This is truly dump-off magic. The Giants win a game with 31 points. How does it happen? Well, it helps if you get <laughs> a lot of turnover help uh, from the Washington team. Six turnovers. Wow, that's that's impressive. That, that's impressive. Three of them from Howell. Like, uh, it's just a really dumb game. And DeVito, over 250 yards, three touchdowns. With a lot of help from Saquon, to be fair, who had 140 uh, all-purpose and two touchdowns himself. Um, but really, you know, he was taking hits. I think his secret sauce is that he's really just willing to take a hit. Because he's got a nice comfy bed at home made by his mother. Um, <laughs> so he's not going to turn the ball over because he's got good hands. He's going to hold on to it. He's going to take the sack. No turnovers. And it was good enough here. Because Washington had nine sacks in this game, right? Um, but he never gave the ball back to them, unlike what Washington were doing for the Giants. And yeah, Howell, one of his just horrible games. He's had a couple of these this year. Um, and that pick six at the end just kind of caps the entire thing. But like this game, just incredibly dumb. Um, almost so bad it's good. Uh, so I, so I thought the problem was to dump off. Uh, Cincinnati at Baltimore, 20-34, Thursday night football. Uh, Baltimore dominated. Obviously, once Joe Burrow left, the, the contest was pretty much over. Uh, he was looking good up until then. Uh, Lamar played well, 318 yards, two touchdowns. Um, even though he had an ankle injury in the middle of this game, though he seemed to shake that off. OBJ was the leading receiver, so that's good to see with Andrews out. But uh, I wouldn't say it's like back to their best, but it was certainly a, a good uh, comeback after a tough week 10. Uh, Burrow, as I said, solid. Browning. He didn't make any big mistakes, but it's kind of like the Taysom Bajan problem where it's like, it's fine, but it's not going to win you many games, especially with a, a tough schedule like they have. Um, so just Baltimore were able to pull away because it's a superior team without uh, Burrow on either side. Uh, Tennessee at Jacksonville, 13 to 24. Jacksonville back on track after that uh, San Francisco humbling in week 10. Um, they dominate Tennessee, who just look like they're doing nothing. Their offensive line doesn't exist. Uh, Levis, like 150 yards, two touchdowns, fumble, makes it look okay, but that was all in garbage time, including a trick play. Um, like just really nothing against the Jacksonville defense. Uh, Lawrence actually had a solid game, four touchdowns, two passing, two rushing, and including a nice reconnection with Ridley, who's been a bit quiet in the middle part of the season. Uh, they'll hope to make more of that, but for Jacksonville, get back on track. Uh, big game against Houston next week. Giant Jets at Buffalo, 6-32, a pointless game. Uh, Josh Allen was able to obliterate this Jets defense, albeit one put in an impossible position by their offense doing literally nothing all game and turning the ball over a lot. Uh, but I think the fact that you saw Cook nearly go 100 yards, Shakir over 100 yards, a more diverse attack that wasn't just Stefan Diggs um, is a good sign that maybe this could turn around, but obviously bigger tests ahead. Uh, Wilson just awful, under 100 yards, through an interception. Uh, I don't think like Boyle is any better, but you know there's no reason to see Zach Wilson again. And there's probably no reason to see Boyle after this week, but it's just horrible, and I feel bad for Jets fans. Uh, like Richard, sorry guys. And finally, uh, another point this game, Dallas at uh, Carolina, 32 to 10. Um, technically this is close going into the fourth quarter, 70 to 10, but you always felt like Dallas would get it done and they were just force-feeding Pollard, who eventually got that touchdown after so many weeks without one. And the Carolina, uh, at the very end, you know, the defense gets another pick six, they got a fumble and they padded that stat line and score line out. 
Uh, Young, just another tough game, wasn't able to get it done when the game was on the line. And, you know, it wasn't all his fault. Like, there were some other mistakes, including a, a rare two-flag uh, tackle from the same defender, uh, where he did a horse collar and a, fa a face mask penalty at the same time um, from Xavier Woods. But, uh, yeah, Carolina very much in the doldrums right now, and all they're doing is helping out Chicago with that uh, currently number one overall pick. So that's a dump off for Week 11. Talk to you next week. Okay, so we've got a slightly odd schedule this week, but being Thanksgiving over in the States means we get games throughout the week. Uh, so Thursday is Thanksgiving. We'll kick off with Green Bay at Detroit. Sean, we've gone for Detroit across the board. Yeah, don't let the fact that they beat the Chargers fool you. This Packers team is not good, um, especially offensively. I think this was one of the few times the Packers broke 20 points uh, this season. So... Uh, even though the Lions have looked, as I said, vulnerable in certain ways, especially defensively, I wouldn't expect uh, a love-led offense to be able to exploit that all that much. Whereas on the other side of the field, the you know the 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 so-so Packers defense is going to really struggle to stop the Lions. I think, especially the the, the, the two-headed running game, and if Goff can avoid the mistakes, it's it's going to be a beatdown. And it's such a rare thing because I mean, Detroit have had a home Thanksgiving game for since the beginning of time, and it's always kind of been a bit of a. A, a down moment in your Thanksgiving football watching because the Lions have generally not been good, but now we get to watch the Lions not only be good, but probably beat up a divisional rival, a hated divisional rival on Thanksgiving, so it could be quite the party. So, yeah, I just can't see how the, the Packers win on either side of the ball here, and therefore the Lions, I think, should be comfortable enough. Yeah, next up, Washington at Dallas. Uh, we've gone for Dallas across the board. Uh, we talked there about how Howell didn't really perform particularly well. Can he avoid big turnovers here against what is, you know, rounding back into form as being quite a good Dallas defense. It's hard to see that route for them, although they do kind of, you know, they fluctuate. So it might be an up offensive game for them. The big problem is, is Washington team is going to have to slow down a Dallas offense that has been on fire for the last little while. CD Lamb is now taking off into the stratosphere. Dak's been playing well. Cook's been getting involved. Um, I think we, yeah, like we even saw Michael Gallup touchdown two weeks ago and stuff like this is a, this is a, Dallas team that's rounding into form. They're at home against a Washington team that traded away its best pass rushers and has, you know, question marks in a couple of positions. Like, it's a divisional game in this division, so, like, there's every chance it could go wonky, but, like, on paper, it has to be Dallas across the board. Uh, San Francisco are taking on Seattle, and we've gone for San Francisco across the board. Gino is hurt. He did come in for the last drive of the game last week, but he did, you know... Looked like he was in a little bit of pain. He wasn't pinpoint accurate on his passes. So what version of him are we going to get in this game? And this San Francisco defense has been upping its pressure of late. So like they're going to be after him and trying to hit him hard. So will they be able to, you know, to, to alleviate that? This has not been a fantastic offensive line so far this year. And yeah, like Gino's worst games have come when he's moved off the spot and he's not able to kind of take his time to progress through his reads. Uh, then on the other side, San Fran have a bunch of weapons. Debo Samuel coming back really seems to have opened up that offense a bit more. They got Kittle going last week as well. CMC is there. It's a very difficult ask for what is a talented but young Seattle defense. Yeah, like I think there's no reason really to pick the Seahawks objectively in this game. Like, historically, the Seahawks have had a decent record against the 49ers, so that's been less so in recent years. Um, but it's definitely a game where Geno's hurt. He's now going to be against the San Francisco defense that 
if not back to its best, it's certainly getting back to what we expected from their early season form. Obviously, Chase Young, while he's not showing up in the stat sheet a huge amount, you can see that he's making a difference and as a next factor to that rotation they have there. They obviously have guys like Bosa. Fred Warner seems to have come out of the bye with his hair on fire and he just seems to be absolutely everywhere. And they are vulnerable in the secondary. So, you know, if they can protect Gino for a reasonable amount of time, maybe you might see a few deep shots to uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and JSN and even Jake Bobo. Um, but I just, you know, realistically it just doesn't seem it's going to happen enough and I just don't feel like the, the tonic for a dodgy shoulder is going up against this defensive line at any point of the season but certainly not uh, for a team that looks like it's out to prove a point in, in the 49ers and then on the other side you have obviously a really young uh, defense you have guys making big plays Witherspoon is making uh, plays every week they have a bunch of they, they traded for Lenny Williams he's making an impact but you know this San Francisco offense it just has too many weapons like with Trent Williams back in there giving Purdy that security that he, he was losing for a few weeks and you know you got CMC you got Debo Samuel you got Brandon Ike who's having a great season uh, George Kittle is a factor depending on the week it's just you know there's so many things to stop you could imagine Kyle Shanahan with a full complement of weapons will find a way to exploit this uh, Seattle defense and take advantage of those vulnerabilities that they have in Seattle even if they do keep it close they, they have a bad habit this season of making mistakes or getting flags um, or get, giving up a big play when they shouldn't need to so look San Francisco are playing really well Seattle coming in a bit damaged and missing Ken Walker as well so from the run game so yeah you have to favor san francisco so it's really just seattle at home in prime time have a slight advantage over san francisco historically in the Kyle Shanahan era maybe they have a shot but yeah like san francisco a better team they should win yeah no the niners have i think they're over their their mid-season hump they're, they're they really seem to have reclaimed a lot of their early season mojo and they're just they're just so much of a better team on both sides of the ball here and especially with gino hurt i mean i just it, it's very hard to see how the seahawks get out of this one alive yeah. Uh, next up, uh, Black Friday game. Woot, woot, Black Friday. Uh, Miami at the Jets. Brought to you by oh, Amazon. God. Amazon, Black Friday. Amazon would want to fucking check the returns policy on that. <laughs> Miami at Jets, Sean. Yeah, but if there ever was a game to get you the mood to go out shopping, it's having to watch the New York Jets <laughs> offense. Um, certainly under uh, Tim Boyle now, which is the, the, the next iteration. Um there is, I, there is an interesting theory that you put up in, in the chat group, Connor, that Salah is deliberately demonstrating how bad the non-Zach Wilson options are. And as a result, we might see not only Tim Boyle, but also Trevor Simeon at certain points over the next few weeks uh, before uh, Zach Wilson comes back. I just, yeah, the, 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 the offensive options on each side of the ball, are, this difference is so huge that it's, it's just impossible. Even how good the Jets' defense is, and they will cause the Dolphins problems because there is kind of a blueprint out there, so don't expect the Dolphins to run up the score or anything. But they just can't, like, the Dolphins' defense is going to be good enough to just stop the Jets from scoring points at all. I have no faith in Tim Boyle being able to be a better option than Zach Wilson or to produce anything. He's never demonstrated in any of the games that he's played that he's, no, he's NFL caliber. So I just even at college yeah. he was terrible. Yeah, yeah. I just can't see it. I just can't see it. I think that the Dolphins have just got too much on both sides of the ball uh, that whatever the Jets have defensively is just not going to be enough to stop. The only chance the Jets have is they need two defensive scores. That's it. Because, um, like you said, I think their defense could hold down Miami, but I don't trust their offense. Into the it's, early, it is the one thing that does worry me about the Jets' defense is they <clears throat> they don't tend to get too many scores. They're very good at stopping teams, but they mm. don't tend to. They're not aggressive enough to get those kind yeah. of pick sixes. I, th- I think it was like yeah. was it week one and two they were really good at it. Now they haven't really done anything since. Um, yeah. yeah, we'll see. Maybe maybe this is an in division one at home on Black Friday. We'll uh, we'll. we'll 
encourage them. Uh, early window Sunday, uh, Pittsburgh at Cincinnati. I've gone for Cincinnati. You guys have gone for Pittsburgh. Look, big divisional matchup. Cincinnati are without Burrow, so can Browning keep them going? Pittsburgh without their offensive coordinator. Hopefully that'll be a, a, a positive uh, development. But, like, you know, they have a absolutely brutally dog shit offense. So, you know, the only way is up, really. Um, this is going to be a terrible game. Yeah, like, look, like, we, we respect the AFC Nord. It's a, it's a good division which plays tough football. But Joe Burrow was one of the few things that got you excited about the AFC North. So without Joe Burrow and you put in Browning instead, um, you imagine Cincinnati will probably play the kind of conservative football they did against Baltimore. Um, they'll try and get some more short passes out there to um, uh, to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins who's back or, or Tyler Boyd or whoever. And it'll just turn into, you know, just another... AFC North arm wrestle. Now look, Pittsburgh obviously they just fired Matt Canada, so maybe a new OC will alight Kenny Pickett, or maybe they'll just go just give it to Jalen Warren every single play, and that will turn out to be superior to whatever they've been putting out for the rest of this year. Um, but yeah, on paper, um, uh, there's very little to get you excited about either of these offenses, and they're both solid, two great defenses, which you imagine will have the advantage most of this game. So yes, a, a low-scoring, tense game, but one that is still important. Cincinnati's playoff hopes kind of hanging by a thread. Pittsburgh and say need to kind of keep eking out a few more wins to kind of stay in that wild card hunt. I think I think it will be interesting to see in this game how good Jake Browning is. I think it'll be very yeah. a very tough test because the Steelers defense is really good, but we'll get a better sense of if the Bengals have any chance this season after the end of this game. But in a game in which the offenses are likely not going to be doing that much, then the difference is that the Pittsburgh defense is uh, the Bengals defense is good, but the the Steelers' defense is just elite, and I can see them scoring off them, off the, the Bengals' offense to a certain extent. Like that's the edge to me. The edge is that the Steelers' defense is, is just a little bit better than, than the Bengals' defense, and so when the offenses aren't going to be doing much at all, it probably will be the Steelers' defense, which will a pick six or a fumble or something near the goal line that'll get them get them the win. Yeah. Next up, Carolina, Tennessee. I was on Carolina, and I was like, wait, why am I picking Carolina to win a game? <laughs> so I swapped it. So we're all for Tennessee, Ronan. Yeah, like, look, we're getting part of the season where some games don't matter. This game doesn't matter. The only thing both these teams want to see is if either of their young quarterbacks can have an up game, avoid big mistakes, and kind of show that they're the future of this franchise. Well, Young will get more than this year. Levis is playing for his job. Um, Tennessee are playing slightly more solid football. They have a better and more confident coach in Mike Vrabel. Caroline just feel like a lost cause. So we'll pick Tennessee, but don't expect it to be a good game. Yeah, Jacksonville at Houston is your pick of the week. I've gone for Jacksonville, and uh, you guys have gone for Houston, Ron. Yeah, obviously a huge game. Houston have, you know, crawled their way into being just one game behind Jacksonville, very much in the hunt for this division. Uh, if they win this game, they'll be tied atop the division with the head to tie to tie at the head to head tiebreaker. And then they beat Jacksonville earlier this season, so that's a, a pretty big win if they get it. And obviously both these teams playing pretty exciting football. Jacksonville, obviously, you know, things were brought to, to, to ground a little bit by that San Francisco beat it beat down. But before that, they were on a heater. They were winning games uh, week on week. And while I wouldn't say the Lawrence offense was humming, it was certainly doing enough and they were getting some pretty good production uh, from Travis Etienne in particular. But obviously the hope is um, after the San Francisco game, they've learned some lesson. Trevor Lawrence has a point to make and we might see him at least, if not take a next step up, get back to where he was in the back half of last year and start getting that ball out efficiently on time to his weapons, get out to Christian Kirk, get it out to Calvin Ridley, get it out to Evan Ingram and just kind of avoid those kind of turnovers and uncertainty that have marred some parts of his game in what's a more defensive year 
here in the NFL. As for Houston, it's all about the CJ Stroud show. As I said, you know, maybe the guy's an adrenaline junk and he just wants every game to be one score, so he's got to throw a few, you know, pick quote unquote picks at the end of this game to make it exciting. But the guy is genuinely a phenom, probably the most exciting quarterback to come into the league since Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow. And, you know, he's a guy who just seems like nothing phases him. He's just, you know, people make excuses all the time. You know, you have young receivers or your, you know, injuries and stuff like that. But this guy's been producing all year despite all those issues. And with the offensive line now healthy and t- people like Tank Dell and Nico Collins really showing up week on week, the guy just seems to be able to put teams apart. And now they've had, they have an effective run game to pair with that. They look like a team that genuinely has a chance, as I said, to get to that top table. Somewhere where we've been asking Jacksonville to get to that top table for, you know, a year or so now and they've not been willing or able to do it so if Houston can get this win if they can turn the table as it were and get this done then I think you know they go from that you know into that top tier we can start thinking about them as a team we're excited to see in January as a genuine contender um but they, they do have a vulnerable D like I think the D is much better than it should be because the Warriors is doing a good job with all of these young players but it is vulnerable because they are young they make miscommunication there are miscommunications there are vulnerabilities there so this could be a really exciting uh high scoring game uh but even if not it's a really important game and I am really just interested because both these teams uh, like Jacksonville Houston kind of feel like the team that Jacksonville was supposed to become so it's really an opportunity for Jacksonville to kind of get our fate back and see if they're genuinely someone we should respect as we go down into the, the business end of the season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on paper, I, I think the Jags are slightly better uh, and certainly further along their evolution and defensively they're slightly better. But I just at this point, I just don't think you can vote or bet against CJ Stroud. He's just He just wins games, you know? He's, he's got that magic. And the Jags are... They're good, but they're not quite as good as we thought they would be. And especially offensively, it kind of feels you can get at them a little bit. So I do think the Texans' defense is going to have to make a, a lot of a lot of big a lot of hard work in this game because they're going to have to make sure the Jags are, are, are kept in check. Um, but if it comes down to the last five minutes, and this game is close, which it probably will be. My money's on Stroud like all the time. Yeah. And I think for me, I didn't mention them, but the Jacksonville defense, I think this, this, it's a, you know, going against Stroud is a good chance for them to kind of show they're not just a paper tiger because their, their metrics are pretty good, but they got blown out by San Francisco. So I think this is a game where Jacksonville's defense we will get a better sense of like, where do they actually stand in the overall league? Yeah, just nice to see relevant AFC South football. It's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, this will be hopefully the start of what will be a recurring uh, twice a year event between these two as you know quite exciting and then obviously Indianapolis who we're going to talk about now in a second uh, Richardson comes back from his injury they could have a very exciting bunch down there next yeah. up Tampa Bay at Indy uh, me and Sean have gone for Indy and Rowan's gone for Tampa Bay Indy coming off the bye will Minshew Magic be back refilled and obviously Taylor is there how much of the workload is going to be piled on him because this is a fairly decent Tampa Bay defense uh, although as we mentioned before and there's some injuries there on the other side of the ball can Baker avoid the mistakes he's been making and produce versus what is kind of a bit of a mid to lower tier defense in Indianapolis they have some good players but they don't have a complete unit there at the moment um, I'm expecting Indy to be able to get stuff going particularly with the bye week coming in um, but yeah this should be should be a fairly even match to be honest um, decent decent enough watch I'd say on red zone New Orleans at Atlanta's up next I've gone for Atlanta and you guys have gone for New Orleans uh, obviously another big divisional match to the NFC South and both teams coming out of the bye New Orleans started to look a little bit better of late just, uh, just to be clear connor do not be fooled this is not a good battle like this is a bad division no no it's a, a, it, 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 they haven't is, turned it around <laughs> no they have not so this is really a question of like 
coaching staffs that don't want people to enjoy football very much. So we've got New Orleans who have a fairly decent defense and for a good part of the early season we're holding teams under 20 at all times uh but an offense that was very pedestrian uh driven by car uh do we know do we have a confirmation on who's going to be starting a quarterback for new orleans at this point or is that still being left in the in in, in the shadows it's expected to be car but uh the shoulder injury they said before the bye that he would probably be playing so we're not sure right now but it's probably yeah Whereas on the other side, Atlanta, look, you've got a whole load of superstar players drafted high, ready to rock, you know, your star running back and everything. And Arthur Smith will just refuse to use them all. So, yeah, it's going to be, it's it's important. It's not good. I'm siding with Atlanta because I think the, I think he's probably starting to feel a bit of the pressure. He started to use, uh, you know, Robinson in, you know, the red zone or a goal to go situations a little bit i think they'll do well because i just don't rate this new orleans team at all because i think either they have the world's most boring offense and will refuse to score more than 17 or 18 points or they have famous Jameis who will be a little bit exciting but will also throw three picks um so yeah we'll see arthur smith will probably find a way to fuck it up but i'm going atlanta yeah, and yeah forget- I just have no faith in the Falcons at all. Like, zero. I just don't trust them to ever win a game ever again. Whereas the Saints are boring, but they do tend to s- somehow score 20, 25 points a game somehow. So, I just the Falcons are just, they're just set up to disappoint. Like, that's just their entire purpose in life at this point. Yeah, and NFC football, side football tends to be weird anyway. There's like lots of, like sometimes there's like zero points and sometimes there's like all the points. And like I have a little bit more faith in New Orleans just because I feel like, they, like they've gone all in. They have a bit more talent there and they have a coach who doesn't actively damage his players. He doesn't know how to use them. But he doesn't actively go out to sabotage their careers. Um, so that's, that's, that's superior, I think. Um, and I think New Orleans, they found a, something at least on offense that kind of worked, um, albeit not against Minnesota's aggressive defense. So... I'm going to trust that Carr can get it out there to, or even Jameis can get it to Alvin Kamara, they can get it to Chris Olave, and get it done. But yeah, no fate in either of these teams, but we are obliged to care until more of these teams get eliminated from the South. Yeah. Uh, New England taking on the New York Giants in a game that no one cares about. Uh, I've gone for New England, so Sean. Rowan's gone for the Giants. Sean, tell me about this battle of oh Titans. Oh, God, this is going to be death. Um. Yeah, two really bad offences. Um, and it's a question in this game of who will be able to score points at all, really. Um, I mean, you on one side you've got Tommy DeVito, who's... I mean, it's weird he's starting to look not terrible, and I'm not quite sure that's just because the Giants are constantly behind in games and he's getting to pad the stats. Hey, he or... just beats the, the, the passing <laughs> yards leader <laughs> in the NFL. I just, I, he's he's not good, and yet he's he's compelling. Keep telling he's compelling. Us he's got three touchdowns last week. Uh, I mean, if there's one thing we can rely on is that Bill Belichick knows how to destroy uh, bad rookie quarterbacks, and I expect that they will absolutely murder him. Uh, and then on the other side, it's just can the Pats score points? And who's going to start a that, quarterback? <laughs> that is a question. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the Mac versus Zappy thing is just like the saddest QB battle in history. I, I just, I don't know. I don't even know as a Pats fan which one I want to see at this point. I mean, they're both equally depressing. Uh, Mac is, I think, a little bit more upside, but he tends to make more mistakes. Zappy just doesn't really do much at all. But Bell, 
Belichick seems to have a, a thing for him, believing he, him in a certain way. It's all going to, I think, revolve around Ramondre Stevenson. Just give him the ball. Just let him run the ball 60 times or something uh, and let the Pats grind out like a 13-6 win or something because this is this is going to be one of those games in red zone. It's going to be on red zone, but you're not going to see it. It's going to be like, it'll pop up every half an hour. Oh, there's been another field goal in this game. Um, and uh, maybe they'll show a few sacks or interceptions and stuff. But uh, if you're... If you're at any way have a you know, sense of your own well-being, do not sit down and watch this game independently of watching other. Like watch this part of Red Zone because then you'll see the one, the bits that are good. Do not watch this game on your own. Like it's just going to be it's just going to be awful. It's going to be one of the worst offensive games I think we'll ever see. No, this is the thing is if New England and Bill Belichick are able to do their whole kind of like shut down a rookie quarterback thing, this is just going to be the most I'm boring sorry, guys. game. Why are, we, why, why are we talking about this game still? Can we move on? <laughs> oh, 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 no, so you two have picked the, the, the Patriots and I picked the Giants because well, I'm in the DeVito memes now. It's, it's in. It's, we're on. At least in the game like this. The move trash on. man cometh. Cleveland at Denver. Uh, me and Fitz have gone for Denver. Sean has gone for Cleveland. Denver have a lot of momentum on the go. Russell's been looking better and their defense, as we talked about in the reviews, has been looking an awful lot better. That said, this is a Cleveland defense, which is probably better than most of what they've seen this entire season. Uh, so that will cause problems for the Denver offense. Uh, there's a question mark, as we talked about earlier as well, in DTR, a quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. What's that going to look like? So can Cleveland's offense produce enough uh, to keep themselves in this, can their defense shut down Denver enough to do it? Because this is two good defenses, although Cleveland's is the superior. Um, Denver's offense has definitely been better than Cleveland's offense have been of late. But we'll have to see, like we said, some unknowns in that mix as well. Uh, that's why I'm citing Denver. Also, they're at home, um, and that yeah. helps them quite a bit. Because the sense I got from Sean during his review of last week's game with Denver is like he's just perplexed by them. No one know what. Why is this team winning? Five wins? Like, this doesn't make any sense. What's going on here? Russell Wilson, still not good, but make clutch plays? Like, old Russell Wilson? This, weird. Uh, and defense, which has no talent, suddenly good. Um, yeah, so, like, Denver are weird and bad and strange, but also good. Um, and they go with Cleveland team. At least we kind of know, like, no quarterback, run the ball a lot. Defense, really, really good. Um, and you would expect that if Cleveland's defense can get turnovers out of Russell, which he's been good at avoiding recently, um, then they can get this game done and, and Sean will get the pick. But I don't know, Denver just weird right now and I think they just edge a, a stupid, stupid game. Uh, but I don't know, neither of these teams, you can't trust them. I don't know what either of the team's strategy is, but uh, both playoff relevant somehow. Yeah, just for me, it's just like you look at it and you're like, I, I actually don't know. The, the, the theme of this pod for the last few weeks is I just don't know how this Broncos team is winning games. They had one good drive against the Vikings, who are a good team, and they won the game because they otherwise they kicked a load of field goals. Uh, I just think Cleveland are slightly further along on their whatever, their evolution. They look like more like a team that knows who they are. I think DTR showed little bit last week to suggest that maybe if, if Stefanski lets off the shackles a little bit, he could be interesting. Um, I don't think it's going to be a particularly high-scoring game, but I, I think I trust the Browns defense to shut down Russ and then maybe something will happen on the other side that they'll just score enough points to win like I think the Browns is going to grind games out from this point they just seem to be that team at the moment whereas the Broncos I just feel like yeah it'll be close but I I, I don't know the, the Broncos could easily win in a terrible game by having one good drive but I just feel there's more reasons for me to believe the Browns are a good team than the Broncos they're, they're, they're an optical illusion of a team right now, the Broncos. I just can't trust my eyes. <laughs> no. uh, Buffalo at Philly. This is Sean's pick of the week, and we've got Philly across the board. Yeah, I mean, I, I picked it, I guess, because it's 
tier, theoretically two good teams um, and it'll be interesting to see. I do think we're starting to get close to the last chance saloon for the Bills. This is the beginning of their really horrible run of games where they're going to have to win most of them to stay in playoff contention. Um, we've talked a lot about the Bills, about how they, the, the problems they have in defense in terms of the injuries, the problems they have in offense in terms of Josh Allen making terrible mistakes and not using the options available to him. Um, whereas the Eagles, who said they're a good team, but maybe not quite as exp explosive and spectacular as last year. I think the dividing line here maybe is that it, it's kind of a, you want to talk about mentality or championship mentality. The Eagles know how to win games, right? The Eagles know how to grind games out in situations where they're not playing that well. Uh, they have enough talent on both sides of the ball and they have enough like magic voodoo play one yard plays to get them over the line to score enough points to win games um and i think especially given the bills are going to really struggle to put together any kind of you know talented defense uh, uh at all really that i mean they're banged up all over the place secondary defensive backs front seven every like every part of the of the bills defense is a mess at the moment and i think that versus hurts and brown uh, and the such like, I think they're going to be able to pick enough holes in that Bills defense, score enough points. And then I think the Bills have demonstrated to us offensively that they just they don't have the consistency uh, against good good teams uh, to win games. They, they don't do enough things often enough against good teams um, on the offensive side that you can trust them anymore. So I think the Bills are, for me, they're a middling team right now. They're 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 going to finish somewhere around 500, and I think that's kind of where they are fitted to be. And the Eagles just feel like, even though they're not quite where they were last year, they, they are still a step above the average, and therefore you've got to back them to win this game, I think. Yeah, like, like objectively, Philly should win this game. They're playing better, they're a better team, they're more talented. So really, I think it comes down to, like, are we going to see a Josh Allen versus the world type output in the back half of the season he has done it in the past there have been tough seasons where just in the back end josh allen just went into super saiyan mode and then suddenly buffalo are winning a bunch of games including against um good teams but it's a lot there is so much work he has to do like the offense as you say it was better against the jets and the hope is with joe brady there maybe they've figured some stuff out there or at least it's put a fire under josh allen but the defense is so understaffed right now it's hard not to see philly being able to rack up a lot of points so it's really going to have to be josh allen getting into a boat race getting the job done but this is really really tough outings for buffalo but it's as you say an essential game that they need to win very badly yeah like i'm just going to on the basis just of the injuries that they've had, it's going to be a tough one against a Philly team that has multiple through the air threats and things like that. Like it's just going to be, yes, their offense has looked better, but their defense has really not been that exciting. And now with all the pieces lost, it's just going to be, it's a boat race. And do they have the weapons to win a boat race? Shakir's looked a little bit better last week. Like Kincaid has come on. Um, and like Josh Allen does have those kind of games in him, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that week eleven is when you need to, you know, burn your super Saiyan card for 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 Josh Allen. Like it doesn't. I'm not sure this is necessarily be the game that would give them the most either. Like take this loss and do it in a divisional one where it has more implications on getting seeding or something like that. Um, and just don't don't have Josh Allen go out there and get himself hurt because he has a tendency well, to sometimes do they're, that. They're already in a tough position. Like, I think they just have to go all out the rest of the season. I don't think there are any more cards left to burn. Ah, just... five, five, five losses, six losses is fine. Like You'd probably be able to get in with, 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 with 11 wins. Or they something have a like lot that. of other tough games. They can't really yeah, give up enough. on any of them. Fair enough. Uh, hopefully then Philly are uh, 
uh, you know, caught sleeping after their win in Kansas City. Speaking of Kansas City, uh, Chiefs are taking on the Vegas Raiders. Uh, they're going to be down beside the giant dome that has been the talk of, of Vegas for the last while. We've gone for Chiefs across the board. The Pierce Renaissance has looked pretty good for the first two weeks against the two New York teams, but fell apart last week. Uh, Mahomes is still playing at a good level, but the wide receivers are bad, so maybe that's an area that they can capitalise on. The downside is they don't have much in the defensive back end. It's all basically Max Crosby, so if the Chiefs' offensive line plays as good as it did last week, you'd hope that they'd be able to neutralise that a little bit. On the other side of the ball, if they lean on Jacobs, they've probably got a decent enough chance, because as we said in that recent game, even with the defensive performance, the Chiefs gave up a lot on the ground. Um, Adams is there, but yeah, we'll, we'll see kind of see what happens here i'd imagine the chiefs defense will be able to cause an awful lot of disruption to o'connell and hopefully cause some issues there but yeah chiefs across the board um it's a thin wedge for for vegas but it, it is there uh like you said new head uh, relatively new head coach in the interim means that you know he probably has a lot of tricks that he wants to pull out of the bag and uh, next up ronan the rams at the arizona cardinals i've gone for the rams you guys have gone for the cardinals yeah, like look, two teams that are very flawed, the two teams which are very talent deficient and a lot of gaps they've been filling in with like young players over the year. Um, the Rams have been, I'd say, played a little bit better this year, but Kyler's come back and added a bit of spice to this offense, which has kind of settled the ship and their defense has been overperforming their talent level. So this is really a coin toss game. Both teams are overperforming. The Rams just maybe could sneak their way into uh, playoff consideration with the number seven seed. But uh, yeah, they're going to like, we know what the, the Rams need. They need Bat Stafford to play off his skin for another week. Uh, hopefully with Cooper Cup there, but Puka Deku is obviously fielding quite well. Uh, they need Aaron Donald and the defense to overperform. And for Arizona, it's basically the same. They need Kyler to avoid the stupid Kyler and do the fun Kyler stuff. And they need their defense to continue to, to do good things and prevent Stafford from taking over. But uh, yeah, if coin flip came for me. Uh, so Arizona, I think just because they're at home. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I'm just going with the Rams because I like some of the explosiveness they have at wide receiver position. But in that, Stafford's which... the best player in this, probably outside of maybe Aaron Donald. So like yeah. they have the two best players. So I, although I he did also like yeah. get a bone shattering hit to his ribs last week, so <laughs> he's hopefully... used to that. He, he plays in the pain. <laughs> That's so true. Uh, Sunday night football: Baltimore at the LA Chargers. We've gone for Baltimore across the board. To uh, so the Chargers, this is a gotta have it game. They are a number of games back. They need to try and keep their relevance. And this is a Baltimore team in ascendancy, even though they're Mark Andrews they've been playing out of their skin their defense is playing well their offense is kind of at will scoring the run game's going uh, like can this Chargers defense now down Joey Bosa contain Lamar and the crew I certainly don't think so I think I want Baltimore to come in here and absolutely humiliate the Chargers because this version of Chargers I think they're done. I think we're all done with this version of the Chargers. Baltimore come in, do what they've done for to a few good teams this year, including Seattle and the Lions. Humiliate them. You know, Staley might hang on for another couple of weeks, but once this loss comes in, the seventh loss, you just imagine the Chargers are dead for playoff consideration. They're dead as an organization, and we can all just move on and give Herbert hopefully some hope going forward because Baltimore's defense has been playing really, really good this year. So Herbert will have to have like a proper, like Super Saiyan Josh Allen type game I talked about just there to really even have a chance here. And their defense has been, as it ever has been under Staley, more often than not pathetic. And this Baltimore offense isn't perfect, but it's certainly good enough to get the job done here. Yeah, this feels like the kind of games that the Ravens just beat teams up and, and run away. They like they get a fast start. Like the the Chargers just they just don't they just uh, defensively especially they're going to struggle uh, and offensively I think that the the, the, def- 
Baltimore defense going to cause them enough trouble. They just won't be able to keep pace with what the Ravens do, and, and I think it could get ugly um, because the Chargers have no backbone whatsoever, and the Ravens know they know how to smell. They smell blood sometimes with teams, and they know how to beat teams up badly when they're in the zone. So Lamar showing off on prime time. I mean, it, it could get ugly definitely. Yeah, and uh, finally, Monday Night Football, my pick of the week, Chicago at the Minnesota Vikings. I've gone for Chicago. You guys have gone for Minnesota. Fields is back. Looked really exciting last week, and uh, I'd hope to see that continue on. This is uh, Minnesota defense that, like we said, uh, kind of didn't fully finish out the game previously. And, you know, can these weird exotic pressure things that they throw around cause issues for Fields? They, they definitely could, but, you know, he had 100 on the ground last week. Uh, his escapability might cause issues for the for the pressure-heavy stuff that they like to do. Uh, on the other side of the ball, we got Dobbs trying to get back on track after last week, trying to get his legs used. This Chicago defense has looked a little bit improved, but is not a top-tier defense by any stretch of the imagination. So there should be potential to get Jordan Addison going, to get the run game going, to get Dobbs out on the outside and use his legs. So I think this is going to be a dumb, fun game that you know Minnesota need to win if they want to keep their playoff hopes alive. But Chicago, this is Justin Fields again, like I said, building up the resume to say, keep me in, coach, keep me in. Uh, so I expect to see some fireworks at this one and it to be good crack, which is why I picked it. Yeah, like it, there's three wins between these teams, but this feels like a coin flip game to me. Like I picked Minnesota just because they, they have the better resume this year, and I think Kevin O'Connell is a, a better coach and has managed to extract wins from impossible places before, so I trust that with what will work out in the end. But like Justin Fields, yeah, as you said, come back next, last week against, albeit a very bad Detroit defense at the moment, and looks like vintage Justin Fields like he's running the ball really effectively and the passing which has been up and down but I think Woods was developing before he got that injury you know suddenly looks like a factor his relationship with DJ Moore um, seems to have come back straight away I think that's huge if he can get out to a couple of the other weapons um, like Mooney or, or Komet just to mix things up like in fact I think yeah Minnesota's defense has been very um, it's been good it's been keeping points low but it's also I feel like one of those ones that if it has a bad game it could go very badly very quickly the big great thing about like a high pressure defense is you get lots of stats and it works often enough but if a team can figure it out if a quarterback can figure it out then suddenly those blitzes will leave guys wide open and you'll see those deep shots to Justin Fields and he's not a guy who's afraid to it and obviously if the blitz doesn't get to Justin Fields and a, a gap emerges he can run right through it so yeah like Minnesota you know they, they've overperformed uh they're still you know safely in in the in the uh, wildcard position for now but yeah Chicago uh, maybe there's something brewing here and as you say they're fighting for their jobs both the coach and the quarterback so they have every incentive to play this team tough yeah I mean it's going to be an exciting game for sure just because of how explosive the Bears can be and also the, the Vikings seem to be a whole new kind of offense uh, with Dobbs uh, and certainly it's making me want to watch the Vikings whereas under Kirk Cousins, they were kind of death yep. uh, to watch. So it'll be a fun game, but I think the Vikings are, they've got a little bit more offensively that I think that would be the edge here. Um, and certainly the, the Bears defense, I would be a little worried about their ability to stop what the Vikings have cooked up. I'm just glad this game on paper should be fun because, you know, if this has been Tyson Bajan versus, I don't know, whoever else Minnesota were considering signing as a backup quarterback, it could have been pretty dull. So I'm just happy this game looks interesting. Yeah. Very good. So that wraps up for this week. Any plans for the weekend, lads? Uh, heading up to Dublin for the weekend for some uh, Sarah birthday stuff. We're going to see some art and we're going to eat some veggie food and we might meet some people for pints if we can. Very so nice. Should be good. Exciting Will she be working on a presentation through the pints? Or? No, I believe the presentation is now done, uh, <laughs> I think. 
<laughs> the presentations are never done. The current presentation, yeah, there might be another one <laughs> down the line. We should text her now, Fitz, and just say, are "You sure you're happy with that final presentation?" <laughs> so, very good. Well, yourself, Fitz, any plans? Uh, nothing too exciting. Uh, busy at work at the moment with a bunch of different things. Uh, might catch the new Napoleon film if I have time, but other than that, nothing too exciting planned. Very good. Yeah, I think my folks are coming up from are coming down from Donegal uh, as my brother and his wife have bought a house just down beside us and they want to come and have a look and you know do Dublin things so I'll be looking after the folks for most of it and then hopefully seeing Sean for a little bit and then on Sunday uh, gonna swing into the woolshed watch some footballs so should be uh, should be good crack but yeah so I suppose that'll wrap us up for this week uh, so for now it's bye from myself bye from Fitz bye bye from Sean bye it's been all for quarters thanks for listening and we'll chat to you next week 